right, welcome back to the Iron Man Podcast, guys. I'm your host, Freyway, and I'm here with my co-host, Kenny. Mm. And today, we are here to record our 50th episode. But uh, fun fact, this is actually the second time we're recording this episode because... I don't, I don't know if that fact is fun. It's it's not a fun fact, but you know what? It's reality. It's our reality. We're living our truth. This is the second time we're recording this episode because the first audio, which was two hours and 40 minutes, actually got lost uh, because of a slip up that I made and the fact that a perfect storm had to happen. But you know what? On to better things. We are just going to we're going to man up and just re-record this episode supposed to come out on Monday. Uh, But because of our schedules conflicting, we decided to just, you know, make it our Thursday episode. So now you guys will be hearing the 50th episode, uh, the re-record of it anyway, on Thursday. And so if if this recording is really good, then that means that, you know what? You guys got the better version anyway. The last one sucked. But this recording sucks then like it's not our fault the other one was better exactly yep so no matter what we have john's ready to cover our asses but yeah i just want to say you know it's been 50 episodes which is insane i can't believe this we started this podcast on july 15th 2021 and somehow some way we made it 50 episodes and a lot of people are rocking with the podcast we have new patrons every day or like every week rather and it's just been i don't know a lot of support from the community the Yu-Gi-Oh community the gaming community the nerd community in general so if you like i'm nerd podcast we really appreciate it everyone who listens to it everyone who writes uh listener letters everyone who inboxes me on facebook messenger or texts me about it um we have a bunch of special guests still lined up Yu-Gi-Oh players we have dale coming back we have marcus hayden coming at some point ycs champion and an arg champion uh we have some other special guests coming that are going to be fun and unexpected so yeah it's just going to be really really a good year hopefully for the i'm there podcast and one of the other things i wanted to say is if you guys have anyone that you want to have us interview on the podcast or just have as a guest let us know and we can reach out to that person or if you if you know that person personally um you know you could let them know that we we have this podcast and we're interested in having them on depending on you know who it is and what their interests are if they align with our you know what we're doing here but uh but yeah so for this special episode, Kenny and I have decided that we're going to each do 25 of our favorite nerdy things. And so it'll be 50 total, hence the 50th episode. Uh, so to kick things off, as you guys may or may not know, I have not played Yu-Gi-Oh! competitively in the last five years. So I had quit around 2016, 2017-ish, right after that famous Peter Chang match with me and the inhaler and all of that. I pretty much stopped playing after that. Uh, I think I, the last thing I really went to was the UDS in Vegas where Fusion Substitute Zoo was legal and obviously didn't have a good experience with that event. It was really toxic. Uh, but I quit after that and then I've just been kind of doing other stuff like focusing on my career, focusing on family, friends, things like that. And now I'm a content creator. So I never expected this, but recently I've gotten into Yu-Gi-Oh! again. But not current Yu-Gi-Oh. I have no desire to play current Yu-Gi-Oh. I don't wish to break boards or set up boards. It's just not my thing. But I do really like the Rise and Edison format. And so does Kenny. We actually played until 1 a.m. last night. It was a little after 1 a.m. We've been playing for the last couple of days. Yo, we were fucking playing. And at some point, you know, you were getting groggy and shit. And I was like, yep. yeah, we can we can make this the last game, Frazier. Like, all right, you can, you can go to bed. <laughs> yeah, no, we've been playing hardcore these last couple of nights, just like testing all the different decks. There's a great resource out there, um, edisonformat.com or something like that, right? And yeah. it has tournaments. RBET does these tournaments and they have deck lists. And one of the cool things about the deck list on a website is that you can just click the image and it'll put it in a downloadable format for dueling books so that you don't have to actually manually create the deck in dueling books. So you can test 
tons of decks rapidly by just clicking the image, downloading it in the dueling book and just playing with a friend. So we've been yep. spamming that and it's been fucking phenomenal. I really miss these kind of formats where it's really slow, where you can set a monster and it doesn't mean you're dying. Um, where the games just are more grindy. And like, yes, there are definitely, you know, we have hindsight bias now. So we look at it with the lens of like, oh, three upstar goblins and, you know, dragons have turbo ability in them that makes them kind of like a modern day Yu-Gi-Oh deck when you set up a big board and if your opponent can't break it, they die. But for the most part, games typically end up being very grindy. And uh, the only cards that are really, really problematic that I see so far, like Royal Oppression, obviously, that card's insane. Uh... And maybe like Future Fusion, you know, that card is also just ridiculous, especially the the original version where it just immediately sends the cards to the graveyard. But outside Future of Fusion so crazy. Card is ridiculous. <laughs> but outside of that, Edison format is number one on my list. So this is the first of 50 things. And it's honestly just been so fun playing it these last couple nights. I've been training one of our other like Kenny's cousin Stango. I've been training him in the format as well. So that he's like able to play it with us and hopefully comprehend. So he's he's playing Frog Monarchs, which is super easy because that deck only plays like it does like one thing per turn typically. But typically is he playing is he mainly playing Frog Monarchs? He's not playing Diva Hero. He was he started off Frog Monarchs and we probably played 10 or 15 games of just Frog Monarchs. And I went through different decks, uh Hero Beat, Glad Beast, and all that stuff. And then after after I switched to Glad Beast and he like just could not deal at all. He was like, okay, I want to try something else because I don't like the way this feels. And I was like, yeah. And so he switched to Diva Hero and he'd been playing Diva Hero. And that was the last I kind of saw was him playing Diva Hero. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. Uh, but yeah, we've been Kenny and I have been really big into the content for Edison format, and it came out of nowhere uh, last week on Thursday. My local alternate universes forced us to not forced us, but like Sean McCabe, he entered me into the tournament and gave me a deck. He gave me Diva Hero and was like, you're playing and you don't really have an option. And so <laughs> I was like, OK, I guess I'm just playing in this fucking tournament. And I had a, a ton of fun. And the only game I ended up losing was a game to roll oppression. Um, but other than that, I really enjoyed myself so much so to the point where I am now looking to pick up all the decks for Edison format, all of the competitive decks, all the ones that I like. So like Light Swarm, Blackwing, Veyu Turbo, Norlaris, uh, Dragons, um, Glad Beast, uh, Diva Hero, Hero Beat, like pretty much every, like Quick Draw Dandy, all of the decks. Like I just want to have all of the decks built because I think that this format is actually so popular that it can sustain past just like you know, a month or so. Like, it just had the biggest tournament since the actual Challenger Championship. It was 144 players. RBET had a tournament. So looked that up on YouTube. But the tournament was huge. I, I see no reason why it won't have the staying power of GOAT format. People yeah. have been playing GOAT format since, like, since I was a kid. I remember, like, after GOAT format ended, like, I don't even know if it was a full year after that format was kind of done. There was yeah. already people that were like, oh, no, I just played GOAT format. Current Yu-Gi-Oh is bad. Like even even then, like just one year after it happened, that was already kind of becoming a thing. So anyway, I Edison format seems to be catching on. It's got a really really well put together website. So shout out to whoever made the website or yes. whoever's running it. Um, yeah, it's I see no reason why it, it can't have staying power because it's a really fun format. And in my opinion, it's got more. Um, it's more interesting than good format. There's more variability. There's more plays you can make for combos, and there's more decks you can play. So. Yeah. yeah, not sh not not against goat format, but I was playing. I played it for like a week, and I was just kind of like over it because I was like, okay, like this format is like hella solved, and there's not. Really yeah, goat format it. chaos turbo is pretty much the best deck. You could play like OTK decks with Dark Mission and Chaos, but for the most part, there's nothing new really being discovered in goat format because of the fact that uh, the card pool is extremely limited compared to something that happened six years later, which is Edison format. It's pretty much like five or six years later, so you get 
so many more sets, so many more options. The advent of synchros becomes a thing. You know what I mean? Like there's a lot that changed since go format and it just makes it, there's so many decks. And I really do believe that as, as of right now, as of, so currently we're recording this is, is February 9th, 2022. I believe that as of right now, the, the format is not solved. I don't think that there's a deck that anyone can say is a hundred percent better than every other deck uh just yet there are many decks that are competitive there are some that they have as like an s tier and a tier b tier and all of that stuff but as far as figuring out what the the absolute best deck of the format is how formats are named after decks there's no deck named after edison format where like you know you have dragon ruler right that's a format it's called dragon mm-hmm. ruler format you have glad beast format you have teledad yeah, format. Yeah. this edison is called edison because there was no one deck that was the best it was yeah. just a bunch of different decks. And honestly, when I say a bunch, I mean like 15 or so. It's that many. It's so many decks. It's pretty so. good. And so, you know, on this list, once again, this list isn't in order. And it's also not necessarily our top 50. It's just kind of the 50 things that we really like that came to mind. But yep. to go along with Fraser's number one being uh, Yu-Gi-Oh! Edison format, I have Monarchs listed. So you're going to you're gonna notice a theme amongst many of these things. The A lot of them would be similar in, in, in theme and topic. But Monarchs in general as I've said multiple times, are just my favorite type of cards in Yu-Gi-Oh. I just think it's, I think they look badass. They're really cool. They really do. Um, like, I just really like the way they look. I like their effects. Um, I just, you know, I grew up playing Monarchs. I really like them. And, uh, and I'm Kenny, just always going to like them. Kenny recently got to experience 2016 Domain Monarchs, where yes. they, get, they get power crept to all hell. I so, love that deck so much, yo. Because yeah. I, I didn't play it, at, I wasn't playing at that time. So yeah. I got to play Domain Monarchs. Erebus is like my fucking favorite thing ever. I love the way he's sitting. Um, and his effect is crazy. His effect is not fair. A uh, funny like note on that was a friend of mine I was talking to recently was saying that if you built like a deck from 2010, 2010, uh, like 2010 Yu-Gi-Oh card pool, but with like as many banned cards as you want in it. So, you know, Pot of Greed, Graceful, Delinquent Duo, Forceful Century, etc. He was saying like, you know, a 2010 banned Yu-Gi-Oh deck would would be able to beat current Yu-Gi-Oh decks and I was like no like staunchly I was like no it would not and so we're going back and forth yeah and I I told him straight up I was like there's just a card called Effect Valor alone is going to shut down all that like Chaos Emperor Dragon yeah cool whatever effect like even Ash Blossom they're like Pot of Greed you're like Ash (laughs) (laughs) yeah like like like, all right whatever you're not drunk too buddy what the fuck you thought this was so anyway, we went on Dueling Book and made decks. He made like some crazy band deck. And I just made, I didn't even make current Yu-Gi-Oh. I made 2016 Domain Monarchs. I played the deck Fraser showed me. And I was like, this isn't even 2022 Yu-Gi-Oh. This is a 2016 deck. And blew him out of the water. Like it wasn't even close. Yeah. So fun little little side note. Yeah, Yu-Gi-Oh has changed quite a bit. Uh, but, you know, some for the better, some for the worse. I just have no intention of playing current Yu-Gi-Oh. It's just not for me. Um, competitively, I do not like the feeling of just setting up boards and breaking boards. And if you don't draw your Forbidden Droplet or whatever your outs are to certain things like the Cyphlock, you can't play. It's just not my cup of tea. And, you yeah. know, that could be very boomer of me. That could be just like I'm jaded. Uh, but it's, it's not... Masters. Even- has yeah. been sucking me in. I've yeah. been getting sucked in because of Duel Masters, man. I, I still haven't experienced, like, I guess, true current Yu-Gi-Oh! Because, you know... You really people, haven't. Some people are playing, like, random shit. But I've I've dealt with, like, Eldlish and uh, uh, some Sky Striker. I know they're not, like, the current top decks, but 
Yeah, Skystriker Sky was broken. I shouldn't say it's broken now, but it, it there was a period where Skystriker was ridiculous, but that time has come and gone. It, it's just now DPE, uh, Destroy Phoenix Enforcer, that car by itself beats all of old Yu-Gi-Oh! So like your friend who's saying that 2010 decks can compete with current is is out of his mind because DPE by itself literally the new hero, right? Yes, was, he's was, a fusion monster. He's a fusion monster, and every single turn you can destroy a card on your field to destroy another card on the field. So he's like a scrap dragon, but he's he's a quick effect, right? So yeah. so and he, he blows himself up, right? He he's like can, to play he, with him. He can choose to. You don't yeah. have to though. So you can pop a different card that you control to pop a card your opponent controls, or you could pop himself and then pop something else you control. So he's very, very versatile in what he can do. And he comes back every standby phase, yours and yep. theirs. And he's yep. just and he also lowers the attack of every monster your opponent control attack and defense of every monster your opponent controls by 200 for each hero in the grave. He's ridiculous. And he by himself would beat literally all of old Yu-Gi-Oh! Like all of it. Like the entire old Yu-Gi-Oh would be defeated by just this one fusion monster. That's not even Only counting. Jaden Yuki had him. Then that's not even considering like fucking Dragoon, who's not even played anymore. But that card, I remember saying that in Go Format, if somebody summoned Dragoon, there are literally no outs to Dragoon in Go Format. You could you could say, I have no cards in hand. I will have no back row. And this Dragoon, I guess at least one card in your hand. So you could just negate like a DD Warrior Lady, basically. But essentially, Dragoon with one card in hand is completely unstoppable in and go format like there's no out to it the entire format it's that bad so dragoon in your hand is nothing but gather your mind <laughs> yeah it's just ridiculous so but, all right well that's the uh that's number one and number two for us basically uh you get Edison format for me and monarchs for kenny so moving right along uh kenny has next on final list. fantasy 10 yes final fantasy 10 uh <clears throat> i don't know best final no nah, i don't know if it's the best but it's my favorite it's final up fantasy. there it might be and, the best. Uh, it's it's so good. I the music, the oh, art direction, so the first the first Final Fantasy with voice acting, the first PS2 one, just the graphics, everything about the game is incredible. And it still holds up. Like if you play the remasters, man, game still looks fucking beautiful. It looks amazing. Um has a touching story, pulls on your heartstrings, and like the for anybody that hasn't played it, I won't really go into what the ending was, but I don't know, it's just a really good game. The summons. Um, I, one thing about Final Fantasy, I think that really makes uh, it a Final Fantasy game, is the summons. The Aeons in Final Fantasy X, they look so absurd. The first time I saw like Bahamut, the first time I saw Shiva, like even Valafor's second overdrive, all of those things in Final Fantasy X add to just the depth of the game and how cool it is to just have a character who is a summoner and that's like the whole point of the story like this pilgrimage and everything the storyline is really really well and, and flushed out the characters are all they pretty much play like the job system they're all something like the main character is basically a warrior you have a character who's a thief you have yuna the main girl she's a summoner you have a black mage you have a white mage um and you have like a blue mage and kamari so you have like all of these different jobs but they don't blatantly say like this is this character is that job but you can just if you've ever played any other Final Fantasy, you can you just know off off the bat like this character is a blue mage, like Kamari is a blue mage, and it I don't know it's just something so cool about how it's all done. Not, not to mention that the character is actually blue. Just thinking about that now, but uh, <laughs> it's just I don't know. The game is really well designed. It was ahead of its time for sure. Every time I hear two Xanarkand or just the opening, it sends me back to when I was ten years old when the game came out. It's just amazing. They're like that's 2001 is like one of the golden ages of video games. You have Melee and Final Fantasy X. It's pretty absurd. Yeah, FF10 
contrary to what many people say, most people say that like, well, I don't know about most people. Let me let me take that back. Yeah. But I've heard people say that's a better thing. I've heard people say that if FF10 is your favorite, it's because it was it was your first one. And uh, I just don't think that's true. Yeah. FF10 is my favorite. It certainly wasn't my first one. My first one was seven, uh, and then eight, and then nine. Yep, same. And then around that time, I eventually I got to play. At the time, it was called Final Fantasy II, but I'm pretty sure it was Final Fantasy IV because when they first came out in America, they were named oddly. Um, and then I didn't play Final Fantasy I until it came out on the GBA. But but yeah, ten was not my first one, but it is by far my favorite one. Yeah, ten ten is. I I honestly at this point in my life, I don't even know what my favorite Final Fantasy is anymore because ten was my favorite for a very long time. But then I've gone back and played seven. I play seven remake. I've played nine a lot. And I also love eight. So for me, the next thing on my list is actually Final Fantasy eight. And it's because it's the first Final Fantasy that really made me fall in love with the games. I played seven as my first one ever, but I didn't know how to really play video games. I was too young. So okay. all of that reading in Final Fantasy seven and the whole material system, I was too young to understand how to properly set up your materia, how to use like all cure and all thunder and all of that stuff. I didn't understand that. And by the time Final Fantasy VIII came out, which is only like a couple years later, like not even more than two years later, probably, uh, I I guess my brain just kind of developed in a way where I understood more and I just picked up on the junction system and I knew how to play RPGs better. And the opening sequence of Final Fantasy VIII is still, to me, the most iconic opening in all Final Fantasy games I've ever played. Like the opening of VIII is so insane like idea and it, like kenny always brings up her hair like how detailed her fucking it hair dude it's so good it's so the way it's like flowing in the wind is like like it's so good the game came out like 98 and for 98's graphics it's so so good final fantasy has pretty much always been ahead in the graphics department that's like a thing that they were known for especially back in the 90s and the 2000s final fantasy just had the graphics and so a person who like me who's i am a graphics horror like i'm not afraid to admit it i really do enjoy good graphics i don't need them but i enjoy them yeah. um and so final fantasy VIII just was, it was so good to me it was the first one i really i understood how to play and i go back between like seven eight nine and ten is which one is the absolute best but to me like all four of them rock but i just have final fantasy 8 on my list because it's it's really the first final fantasy and i love i love uh leon like squall i love him cool. like he's he's so fucking cool to me lionheart his ult his last limit break is so insane uh it's his version of omni slash basically but like it's a little bit more cinematic i i don't know the game is just phenomenal so if you haven't played final fantasy i do recommend it uh moving right along number three on my list is Mewtwo. So I wanted to put something Pokemon on my list. Uh, and at first I was just going to throw Pokemon Gold on there, but we already talked about Pokemon Gold a lot in our actual episode for Pokemon and like RPGs and stuff. So I figured I would just talk about my favorite Pokemon, period. Mewtwo, although a clone of Mew, is actually my favorite. And it's really because of the movie Mewtwo Strikes Back, I think it's called. Um, he just looks so dope to me. His design... The way he was about to literally destroy the entire Earth by just spinning his little three finger thingies around in a circle by sitting in a chair, just like constantly doing that, created a storm that would flood the entire Earth. Like on some I'm God type shit, like just God complex. He was on some God shit. He was. Mewtwo was broken. I forget. There was a scene where like a Rhydon charges him and 
he like puts out one finger and a Rhydon stops and he just pushes it across the entire dinner table and it like slides and knocks everything off the table. It's just such an iconic thing. I think somebody tried to do a hyper beam on him. He just puts his hand up and reflects it or something. He's he so there was multiple trainers with like a Gyarados and all kinds a of Dragonite, a Charizard. Yeah, he like Mewtwo, they really wanted to drive it home that he is not to be fucked with. And it's cool because in competitive Pokemon, if you play Ubers, he's also outrageous. So Oh yes. Like, like in the only oh, format yeah. that he's legal, he's also ridiculous. So I love that he, you know, in Smash, I feel like Mewtwo and Sephiroth and characters like that should be so fucking broken because they really are in their own verse. I just think that like when you bring them to a fight game, that should translate. Mewtwo should be the best Pokemon in the game. Like it should not be Pikachu. It should just be Mewtwo. And every game that Mewtwo is in, I think he should be like a pro. Like he should be something that people complain about. I want people to complain in Melee. I want people to complain in Ultimate. Like Mewtwo is a problem. Uh, I wish. I wish. Dude, Sephiroth, Mewtwo... Ganon, like these guys should be absolute yes. problem. Characters. Ganon, yes, <laughs> yep. they should. I think villains from from their verse when they get put in the fighting games like Smash, they should just be absolutely unfair, like borderline Meta Knight Bayonetta unfair. If you've ever played Smash, <laughs> you know what I'm talking about. Like I, I want them to be that bad, where it's like nerf, please, ban hammer, please. This character's not allowed the tournament. I want them to be that ridiculous. Yes. On this, uh, on this note, I got a champion blue steam. So. Some of these are going to be specific and some will be a bit more broad, but, you know, yeah. whatever. Pokemon in general, right? But Champion Blue's theme, when I think about everything in Pokemon that I love, I think that is, like, one of the highlights of something that I love the most. If you've ever played the original Red and Blue, when you get to the fucking final, the the final fight, the Champion of the Elite Four, and his music hits, it's like, da-dum, da-dum, Oh, da-dum, God, I love it. Da-dum. Oh, it's so good. Uh, go on YouTube if you haven't heard it. Go on YouTube and type in Champion Blues theme, and that shit is so fire. It fucking hits. And we're talking about the original version, too. Yeah, the original red and blue Game Boy version. Like, there's remixes, and they all sound good, too. Don't get me wrong, but there's something about the way that Game Boy 1 sounds. Like, I can can be in a car blasting that on the highway. Like, it sounds so good. Because... It's odd because I don't think people think of Pokemon as having a final boss, right? But yeah. like Champion Blue is the final boss of that game. It's an RPG, and he's the final boss. And uh, amazing final boss music, and um, definitely the hardest challenge in the game. So that music overall, Pokemon is a series that has great music. But Champion's Blue themes is just something I think deserves its own special little shout out. And if you do know, if you have heard it before, go listen to it again because it'll make you happy. And uh, if you haven't heard it, go fucking listen. It's so good. Yeah, it's amazing. But uh, moving on, next I got uh, just DBZ. Now, this is obviously broad. I won't spend too much time on it. We did a whole episode on this. But Dragon Ball Z is the anime I grew up with. It's the it, what got me in. It's what I consider the godfather of anime, at least in North America. For sure. Um, that's, that's, that is a fact. That is not, yeah. that is not subjective. That is an objective <laughs> fact. <laughs> yeah, like, I, I think a large part of anime success in America is dr- because of Dragon Ball Z. There was other great ones that came out, Sailor Moon, Gundam, um, Tenshi Muyo, but yeah. I think the impact DBZ had really like exploded it to making Naruto and Bleach and all these other things. Possible, yeah. Possible. Yeah, and for me, I have Sailor Moon on my list as uh, the number four thing. So, for, like, Sailor Moon was on Toonami 
before Dragon Ball Z. And yep. I I never remember how exactly I started watching Sailor Moon. I feel like, you know, it came on Cartoon Network and maybe I was just watching like Ed, Ed, Nettie or Dexter's Lab. And, mm-hmm. you know, the next thing I came on was Sailor Moon. And back in the day, Cartoon Network used to specifically just show cartoons. I know they do a little different shit nowadays, but like. I got so annoyed when that happened, when they started putting like. I don't know. I don't. I don't want to see real people. On my yeah, cartoon like it got weird. But back when we were children, you know, '90s kids, Cartoon Network used to only show cartoons constantly for 24 hours straight. And my dad used to always say, "Back in my day, like we didn't have a station that just showed cartoons. We had to wake up on Saturday mornings." But he used to always be so envious of the fact that I was growing up with a station that only showed cartoons for 24 hours. And Sailor Moon mm. was one of them. And he used to make fun. Of he kind of was teasing me, but also making fun of the actual show itself because Serena. The main character would cry all the time. He'd be like, oh, God, here you go with your Sailor Moon. Like, he'd always just kind of make fun of Serena for just being a crybaby and how much I loved watching this show every single day. I got addicted to it really early. And me and my best friend, we just would watch Sailor Moon. It was really good. Seeing all the transformations, the music, her fighting Queen Beryl for the first time, her fighting Wise Man with her daughter, Rini, turning into Wicked Lady. Like, there's so Rubius. There's so many cool things. The way she defeats every boss, kind of like the Power Rangers, where she does a really, you know, a dance number kind of, and it's like they play special music, and then she beats the boss in this little pose. Yeah, at one point she she used to throw her tiara, and then it would become like a little energy disc, and that would kill the monster. But then, you know, at some point they get power crept, and that no longer works. So she gets a scepter, and she starts doing this little scepter dance. Another thing, though, dub versus sub is always an argument. The dub opening for sailor moon is a goat fucking opening all right the fighting evil bomb oh yes right that is a she goat is the opening. one called sailor moon she that is the opening one. is too good and tuxedo mask and a moonlight night were also goaded uh i you know what one of these years i'm gonna cosplay as tuxedo mask because i think that is that just needs to happen it's such a cool ass costume you have the rose you have the top hat you have the cape with the red on it I think that's a, def- a definite for me in the future. So I'm going to do a tuxedo mask cosplay. But yeah, Sailor Moon, that's next on my list. So, all right, number five for me is Smash Ultimate. And Kenny has Smash Melee. So I'm going to talk about Ultimate. Uh, I used to play, I play, so I played every Smash game. And I won't say that I've ever played any of them competitively. I've never traveled the world to play Smash. I'm, I've not really entered any tournaments for Smash, honestly. I've mostly just played with friends, and like I've gone to events that have had tournaments for Smash, and I kind of just play friendlies and stuff. But I wouldn't say that I'm what you would consider a competitive player. Ultimate for me is the perfect, like it's it's the perfect point between uh, technical skill and also like ca- just being a casual, where you can kind of pick it up, play, and you don't have to have the thing in melee where like. Wave dashing, L canceling, uh, short hop double laser, like all of these like really technical things that you have to do with your fingers that are not easy to do, if I'm being honest. And they take a lot of practice. Ultimate is a game where there's no like you can't edge hog anybody. You can't like it's really hard to get people in the game. Recoveries are much, much freer. And for those reasons, I enjoy it only because I can actually play it and I can also spectate it. So in the last couple of years, I've grown to love watching Twitch specifically because of Smash Ultimate. I didn't used to really watch things on Twitch, but because of like people like Zero, who's like the best Smash 4 player, uh, and then MK Leo, who's like the best Ultimate player, period, and just like Tweak and a lot of other people, Spargo, uh, if you notice, you know the names I'm saying. 
But like these guys have made Ultimate so fucking cool to me. And it's still relatively young and how old the game is. I think it's almost four years old now. But it's still a pretty young game. It's 2022. I think it came out like 2018. And it's so good. Even through the pandemic because of online play. Like they found a way to still, you know, online play is not very good. But they still found a way to make it. Where like the best players who were offline were still pretty much winning everything. Like you still had MKLeo, Tweak, Spargo. Like those guys. We're still doing really well. And I just watched a lot of content during these last two years of this pandemic. And I enjoyed myself a lot. And I also, I play so many different characters. Like I, I, I'm i a tearless horror in general in fighting games. And also just like, I guess in Yu-Gi-Oh! and everything else. So I play like Joker, um, Diddy, uh, like Fox. I recently started playing Pirate Mithra a little bit just to dabble with them. But like all the best characters, I pretty much dabble with them. Smash 4, I play like Diddy, Sheik, Rosalina, like the best three characters in the game before Bayonetta and Cloud came out. So I, I have a lot of fun playing Smash Ultimate and also a lot of fun uh, watching and spectating it. And yeah, for me, that that had to be thrown on the list because I spent so much of my time actually in my free time. A lot of the times I just put on Twitch and watch streams of Smash Ultimate. It's so fun to me. So therapeutic to just like watch what people do. Oh yeah, I uh, I like Ultimate a lot. I just don't. The gameplay doesn't all the way click for me, but yeah. there's so many things it does that I love. The all the music in the game, the stages, the characters. I mean, like it has so many characters I never thought I'd see in Smash that I fucking love. It's absurd. Terry Terry Bogard, Kazuya Mishima, Sora, Cloud and Sephiroth. Like, like it's crazy. But yeah, my baby, like the the game that I absolutely love in terms of fighting games, in terms of Smash, is definitely Melee. Just the pure like freedom of movement and like what it feels like you can do and like it just feels so clean once when you're like moving in melee like it feels so good it does like just, i cannot deny that it actually yeah, like, i do know how to do all the technical kenny and i both we both know how to play melee from yeah. a, like a technical level we both know how to wave dash l cancel and do all the things we may not do it perfectly but we know how to do them we can execute them if you gave me a game controller right now and said hey do like you know, wave dash back and forth across the stage. I can do it. Like right now, without having played the game in months, I could just start wave dashing back and forth across the stage. So like we both know how to do it, but to play it at the level of like IBDW, Mango, Hungry Box, yeah. Lethin, we're nowhere near that. And that bothers me only because of how competitive I am as a person. Like I am yeah, such a competitive yeah. person that the fact that I know it would take me so much effort to become good in melee keeps me from like Loving it as much as I love Ultimate, where I can kind of pick it up, play, and just like I, yeah, I can, that makes sense. Yeah, that makes sense. I um, but Melee is amazing. Don't get me wrong. Like I, 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 I think it's amazing that the game has been out for twenty fucking years, and it is still yeah. a competitive game. Yeah, twenty plus years, and it's still a very competitive game that has tens of thousands of people watching tournaments for it. Like the Smash World Tour that happened in Jan, uh, not January, in December. I think that the viewers were upwards of 50,000, 60K or something like that when we were watching it. Like 60K people were watching that shit. It's insane. About 20 years ago. 20 now. years ago, 60K people were watching at one at one time. It probably peaked higher than that. We stopped counting after a while. But it just is absurd to me that that many human beings were tuned into just like the fucking Super Bowl. Like, come on. And it's not even it's not even just the thing I love about it is the game's so old now that some of the best players in the world are younger than the game. Like, yes, which they is were wild. born after the game came out. Yeah, you were born after 01. So, like, how fucking cool is that? And they're some of the best players in the world. Also, shout out, um, their, uh, like, a, a power ranking actually just came out somewhat recently and, a, like, listed the top 10 players in the world. 
And my boy Mango clawing back to the top was ranked number one. It's a, I think it's been a while since he's been ranked like actually number one. Yeah. And Mango clawing back up to be ranked like legit number one in melee as a as a proud member of the Mango Nation. I got a fucking I'm so happy for him. But but yeah, IBDW, Zane, Hbox Plup, like People are out there playing out of their mind. Yeah, it's insane. And it honestly, watching so much Smash content is also one of the reasons why I became a content creator. Like realizing that it's not as hard as I thought to just, you know, sit in front of a, a, a camera and, and just talk. You know, like yeah. I, I've, I've watched dreams of Zero and other people just literally doing this. And it made me, you know, it kind of was an inspiration for the podcast in a way. It's one of the, one of the pieces. Yeah, um, so... I can uh, talk about melee forever. I still, we still got to get my cousin Stango back on because I wanted to go. I would love to talk about a couple interesting topics, like like best players, like who's better, like shit. Not like necessarily who's better, but something I just was randomly thinking about the other day was like, when you compare someone like Zero and MK Leo. And you look at how Zero, like his reign of dominance for like one full, for like fifty tournaments in a row, was like unprecedented, right? But then you have, but then after he his do- dominance reign kind of ended. He wasn't like dominant anymore, and he kind of like he still did well, but he started to fizzle. Yeah. Whereas MK Leo, he had he didn't have a fifty tournament run, but I feel like MK Leo's reign of dominance has lasted so much longer he's than been zeros. Four years, and he's been the best character. He's been the best player. But not even just four years. It started at the end of <laughs> Smash Four. Yeah. It started at the end of Smash Four, and then all of Ultimate. Yes. MK Leo has been the best. He's so been the best thing player to think about, far. like yeah. comparing them, you know, and then comparing that to Melee and all the other games. Yeah. And yeah, and it's it's not an easy comparison to do for sure because not at all. with Melee, you're looking at 20 years, right? And then Smash Ultimate, like I said, it's pretty, it's in its infancy still if you think about like it's a four-year-old game as opposed to a 20-year-old, yeah. a 21-year-old game. The game, Melee is an adult. Melee can drink. Melee, melee, melee can literally drink whereas whereas ultimate can ultimate is uh just learning how to speak there's yeah. because ultimate ultimate just got to the point where there are no more patches all the characters are out so technically now the game can begin like yeah, yeah, ultimate yeah. is literally i think someone actually said that i was listening to a podcast i think it was tweak talks he's like the second or third best player in the world and i think he said that i'm so happy that Sora's out that's the last character and that's the last patch because now the actual game can begin and when he said that, I was yeah. like, wow, it's actually crazy to think like four, it took four years, but now ultimate is going to officially start to go into the part where you can solve it or, or try to solve it as much as possible. Yeah. And how it definitely won't take. solve it. Right. Considering 20 years later, melee is still not solved. I know some people like to say it is, but they still crazily enough discover new tech and new play styles. And Zane things. with Marv has discovered some new shit that he does against like uh, Jigglypuff. That just happened last year. Like yeah, it was it was so like some completely new shit. The game continues to evolve, which is impressive. So ultimate, like Tweak is correct in saying that like the game has begun because it's not going to get solved anytime soon, yeah. even with patches being done. But uh moving on, next I got uh DD as Dungeons and Dragons. Uh this is pretty new in like the span of my life in terms of my interest. I did not grow up as like a DD kid or a DD nerd. I uh, wasn't really something I was ever into. It's something that I always thought I would be into. Like I would say, like, oh, that seems pretty cool. Um, I remember there's a Dexter's Lab episode where they're playing D and D. Uh oh wow. Yeah, I think like M- M- Melark, I think his name is, something like that. I know exactly uh, what you're talking about. I yeah, went through Fromage Kid. He was uh the dungeon master, I think. But anyway, I got into D and D, I want to say within two or three years ago. And um 
I ended up loving it. It's a really fun game to just like hang out with your friends and just kind of get into it, get lost in it. It's got fun mechanics to play, and then you also just get to be a little asshole and do fun shit. I don't know. It's just, it's a really, it's just a really loose game where you get to relax. Nobody really cares. I like that you can completely. It's cooperative. I like that you can completely create a character from anything. Like you could be yep. Sasuke Uchiha, you could be Itachi, you could be Madara, you could be whatever you want. You could design your character and their skills and their abilities, and then they kind of grow over time. And mm-hmm. it's it's really fun. I've never actually really got into it, but what I have done is my best friend used to play it at 30th Street Station. Uh, it's open 24 hours. So back in the day, after midnight, him and a group of people would meet up at 30th Street Station or at the Fresh Grocer, which also stays open 24 hours. And they would just play... D and D. So after I would play Yu-Gi-Oh, I would kind of stay up and go with him to play D and D, and just kind of I would have like my PSP with me or something, just something to entertain myself. And I will basically just be chilling with them while they played, and they play until the sun came up. So from yep. let's say one a.m. to seven a.m., they would play D and D, then all we'd all go home. And those nights used to be amazing. They felt extremely long, like extremely long days, because I, essentially I was up the entire twenty four hours, and then. I don't know, just hearing like, oh shit, he rolled a natural 20 or oh god, he rolled a one. <laughs> like, it, I don't know. It was a lot of funny moments. The the game master, your game master can make or break your experience. They had yes. a pretty good great uh they had a pretty good game master that made things really funny and interesting. And I always wanted to jump into it, but I realized how much of a commitment it was. So I never really got into it. And I do that with a lot of stuff. Like I'm there are a lot of things in life that interest me that I'm afraid to jump into because I have an addictive personality and I do not want to make that commitment, like that time yeah, commitment. Yeah, yeah. Or just that commitment in general. That's um, fair because because D and D you can you can end up getting lost in it and just like thinking about it and and diving into your character and how different things work and you can really end up getting super lost in the game. Yeah. And one of the things I really love about it is that, you know, it's not weird when you have a vampire or a werewolf on your team. And speaking of that, uh, the next thing on my list, number six for me is Twilight. So I know that this series gets <laughs> I know that this series gets shit on a lot by people as a meme. Uh, everything's a better love story than Twilight. And that people hate the fact that the vampires in the sunlight, they don't die, they just kind of uh they start shining. Yeah, they glitter, they shine, they sparkle, and that kind of reveals that they're you know supernatural. But for all of those memes and the hate that it gets, I do genuinely think that Twilight is worth watching. It's worth reading. It's it's one of those like it's very cheesy love story type of thing, but it's also really cool to see vampires who have extra abilities. Like the main the main character can hear everyone's thoughts. Literally, he can just hear your thoughts. Uh, his sister or one of the, one of the girls in his coven, she can literally see the future to an extent. Like she sees visions of the future. And another guy, Jasper, can change your feelings. So if you say, I'm in a really bad mood, uh, I don't even want to have my birthday party. This literally is canon, too. He, like, forced the main character, Bella, to like the idea of having a birthday party when she did not want it. Like, he made her feel happy about it. He can. So these are some... Think about how ridiculous that is. Like, these are some really OPS abilities. Another one, if he touches you, he knows everything that ever happened in your entire life. He's a villain. Um, the Volturi guy, like if he literally makes contact with you in any way, he knows everything that you know and have lived your entire life off of one touch. It's fucking absurd. So there's a lot of cool shit in Twilight that I think if you're a nerd, you like superpowers, you like supernatural things. It just kind of draws 
a lot from the nerd culture and makes it, it amplifies it because vampires typically are, they were kind of solved. Like honestly, until Twilight, vampires were just solved. They always were, oh, they come out at night and in the sunlight, they engulf in flames. And then if you have a cross or garlic, it kind of affects them too. These vampires are not affected by any of that nonsense. That shit doesn't work on them. And uh, I don't know. I just love the way the story's written. I love the fact that the Volturi, the, the villain group, kind of forced the main character to become a vampire, which ended up being their downfall in the end. It kind of worked out in a weird way because she has the ability to cut off supernatural powers. So she kind of turns you back into a human. So Yeah, she's fucked up. She's really broken. And that is, she's anti-meta. She's anti-meta. She's anti-meta, <laughs> but, like, but good. Like, like good anti-meta. Yeah, so, she's fucked up. I, uh, well, I saw Twilight because of Frasier. Um, it's a funny, I, I've said this before, but him and Cairo were over my house hanging out and, uh, I got outvoted. We were like, what do we want to do? Let's watch a movie. I was like, all right. One of them was like, let's watch Twilight. And I was like, no. And then the other, and then the other one was like, well, let's vote on it. And I was like, well, I've already lost. Like, yeah. Like, and if, he's not if a dictator. One, and the other one said, well, let's vote. Like I'm fucked. Yep. Yeah, Kenny, so, we were at Kenny's house, but he's not a dictator, so he was like, well, I guess I'll just get fucked over here by democracy. So, I watched, we watched the first two Twilight movies, I think, that night. Yep. And then, uh, I remember Frasier, even back then, just so you guys know, I don't even know if you remember this, but even back then, Frasier got super excited about, like, their outfits and shit, and the fashion, and the clothes. Because I remember you were telling me, like, you were explaining to me, like, how they're wearing, like, they're actually wearing different outfits every day and how they they, they describe their outfits in the books or something like that. Yeah. I remember even back then you were getting super excited about, like, their outfits and the fashion and everything. But anyway, um, I watched Twilight because of my personality. I uh, I ended up watching all of the movies because after I watched the first two, I was like, well, now I have to finish the series. Um, but I finished it, and I truly don't think it's horrible. Yeah. I, I do have some, some criticisms of it, but I don't think it's horrible. I, th- I think it got, um, I think because... It was really popular. This is how it is with everything, right? Naruto was really popular until people hated it. I think it got super, super, super popular that everybody just hated it. Um, I saw it all. I don't think it's great, but I don't think it's bad. It's it's an enjoyable. It's a it's like a good enough movie. It's enjoyable enough. Yeah. It's not terrible. I think it's an enjoyable series for me. It's one of my favorites, and we're actually going to do an entire podcast on Twilight. We have a special guest. Uh, uh, one of my friends. Her name is C. She's a model. And she really loves Twilight, I found out, on Friendsgiving last year. So she wants to come on and discuss it with us, all the movies and everything. So we're going to do that sometime in the future. But, uh, I, yeah, I'm a big Twilight fan. I also like, you know, Hunger Games and Harry Potter and all of that. All of that type of stuff. So that'll that's something that'll come be coming down the line. Uh, next, so number seven for me and number seven for Kenny is... Uh, I have Aaron Yeager, and he has Attack on Titan. But these kind of yeah. go hand in hand. So I am really big on main characters who are on some fuck them kids type shit. That's fuck them kids. that Michael resonates. Jordan. That resonates with me on so many levels. Like the idea of someone just literally saying fuck them kids. I don't care. That type of energy is just it's black air force energy. It's fuck your life. It's bing bong. Fuck your life. Like it's, it's just everything that I love. And Aaron Yeager embodies that. I'm not going to go into what has been happening in these last couple of episodes of attack on Titan, but seeing cause he's the main character, you know, that something obviously is happening. And it's just, even if you just look at final season, part one, right? He goes to Marley. He pretends that he's an amputee. 
And he literally starts killing a ton of people the same way his people were slaughtered in episode one. He starts killing innocent people who have nothing to do with anything. They're just living their regular lives, including children. He tramples children. He fucking punches children. He kills children. He's a savage. He also could... Yeah, he, he's, he's wild. He is fucking <laughs> insane. And uh, I love that energy. I'm, I'm big on that. So Aaron Yeager, he's like a, another version of the kind of characters I like, like Yagami Light and Lelouch v. Britannia, he's, he fits right into that mold of main characters who just don't give a fuck. And, yeah. and Kenny... I fucking... I love Attack on Titan as a whole. Um, yeah. Aaron Yeager is the shit. And I, I guess specifically, the thing that really put Attack on Titan high, high on my list is Season 3, Part 2. And I compare it to Game of Thrones. You know, I like Game of Thrones a lot. It's fucking amazing. 100% worth watching just for the first one the six seasons um yeah. but obviously you've all heard that the final like two seasons aren't all that good whatever not a big deal but my point is there's this event called the long night and season three part two of attack on titan is basically what i like to call the long night done right it just feels like everything the entire series has built up to culminates there and it feels cathartic i enjoy watching it the events that take place with levi does mikasa aaron would fucking all of the characters end up doing the sacrifices that are made it's the wild. growth moments it's just and then like the titans are fucking they're actually relevant unlike yes, they're not just zombies um yeah unlike you know some other the the beast titan is what the night king was supposed to be yes instead of just getting fucking Anyway, a fully uh, realized character as a villain. So I just thoroughly, thoroughly enjoy Attack on Titan, specifically when it culminates in that final and not final in season three. Final season part one is amazing. I haven't seen part two yet, but but what would my point is would put it over the moon was that season three part two where it just everything felt like it came together. They they pushed toward this goal. The entire series built up to that moment, and it, it felt like this grand victory. And then when it when it gets to the end of that, you have what kind of leads into what Fraser was saying with Aaron Yeager, where Aaron is like looking across the ocean, and where they learn about how all of these people across the ocean that hate them. And he's like, so if we kill every like, if we kill all of our enemies there, will we finally be free? Like, and yeah. it it ends up. This moment that's supposed to be really happy for everybody ends up being a little despondent, and it's like, holy shit. <laughs> so I want to say this about Attack on Time because it started in 2013, the anime. And after season one, it was the biggest show that had ever aired. It was the biggest anime ever. Like it broke all these records. It was huge, right? Attack on Time was the talk of the town. You couldn't you couldn't escape it. Attack on Time was everywhere. And season one was phenomenal, right? But after season one, Attack on Time goes on in hiatus in the anime for like five years. Like, actually, like, legit, four to five years, there's no Attack on Titan anime. And what that did was obviously make people lose interest. And then when it does come back, season two is, for the lack of a better word, it's slow. It's very, very slow-paced. Uh, there's not much action that happens, at least in the beginning of it. It's Because, they, you know, it, it's still a story-building thing. Like, they, they build a story. They have to set up and establish pieces and backstory and things like that, So which is, what, which is good. I love that. But a lot of people could not deal with how slow it was when it came back, so they just completely dropped this series altogether. If you are one of yep. those people, I implore you to start it. So I won't just say pick back up from where you left off. I will say literally start Attack on Titan over from episode one. 
because you probably yep. forgot a lot of what happened and just watch it straight through since you have that luxury now to watch it all the way through and by the time you get to where it is right now it'll probably be over there's only i think there's only eight episodes left in the entire series of attack on titan so by the time you you know go through it unless you're just absolutely doing nothing else uh it'll probably be finished or very close to being finished if you just started over from scratch i think that it is one of the absolute best animes of all time and if it ends well for me it would actually beat death note which i currently have as my number one anime of all time so i the writing of attack on titan is absurd the action is well placed it's not just one of those like beat em up animes it's not just zombies uh they're not killing characters for shock value. It's it, everything that happens just really drives an emotion in me. And uh, I don't know. It just seems to be really, really well thought out, which is probably part of the reason why they took such a huge break. It's more than just flesh Gundams fighting every episode. Yeah. Um, but speaking of attack on Titan, next I got Nintendo switch and yep. you might say that's a weird fucking chain. How'd you, how'd you chain those together? <laughs> Well, there's a game on the Nintendo Switch for the Attack on Titan that I haven't played, so this still doesn't make any sense. But it looks fun. <laughs> it does. The, You're fucking swinging game, around. The game looks so fun. I really want to play it, but it's like a hundred dollars, and I just like whoa. It's so fucking much because, like, it's it's like a hundred dollars because you know final editions and stuff like yeah. that. Like, I just. I cannot buy that game unless it's on sale. Like, I just can't buy it. But it looks really fun. But the Nintendo Switch is uh, one of my fucking favorite things of all time. It's my favorite console of all time. It's it's been able to overtake my previous, like, fa- favorite consoles. Like, I don't know. I'll just give a top five real quick. This is not in any particular order. But it's, like, the SNES, the Nintendo DS, the PlayStation 2, um, Game Boy and the nintendo switch mostly nintendo as you can tell yeah uh with ps2 being one of the fucking goat consoles uh in there as well but yeah, anyway I think, I think ps2 is still currently like the number one selling console of all time which is just so fucking crazy it's been it's, so long it's amazing but the switch is just it is the perfect console it being a home console and a portable device is fucking amazing and the fact that seamlessly i can be playing on the go, playing my thing, and then put it to sleep. The boot times on are incredible. And then if I get home, I put my Switch in the dock. Boom, I'm playing it on my TV. Good to go. And then also, this is something uh, we were talking about. Me and Fraser mentioned uh, multiple times. I don't I don't know if we did on the podcast, but when we were playing Monster Hunter together, maybe even Bradley Default, I think at one point, Fraser's electricity went out. And he got scared for a second because he was like, I didn't save. And then he was like, "Yes." Oh wait, the switch is godlike. It doesn't matter <laughs> yeah. because the electricity went out. The switch is a portable console. It just thinks it got undocked and went to undocked mode, yes. portable mode, and like it didn't matter. Yeah, like literally, not like all the lights went out. Every everything just blew out of my house. It was a blackout, and uh, I was really afraid because if that would have happened on any other console, I would have lost. You know, however long it's been since an autosave, which probably isn't that much considering how games autosave now but i tend to turn autosave off sometimes um but it's just like the convenience of just that right like that just a blackout happening and you being able to still play something or just getting on an airplane which i you know i like to travel pre-pandemic i traveled very often and i'm starting to get back into that bag so having a switch is really convenient for just like playing games on a go playing mass on a rise and uh it also just has every final fantasy and all the kingdom hearts now you know that like that 
is also absurd. Apparently, Chrono Cross is being remastered and brought Chrono to Chrono Cross it. is being remastered for it. They're also a game that never came out in America that was always interesting called Live Alive. And they're doing like an Octopath Traveler remaster on it. And oh, it shit. Looks, it looks incredible. Yeah. I can't wait to give that a, give I that a go because I never the, played it. I think the Switch is technically, from a technical standpoint, the best console ever made. Uh, because of the fact that it is a handheld and a console, and it's it's really both for real. It it's not like well. it's not like a bullshit gimmick. It's actually re- like when, so. For example, there's a Monster Hunter game, Generations Ultimate, that came out on uh, the 3DS, and they did a port of it to the Nintendo Switch. Well, when you're playing it handheld, I think it's at like 720p. It still looks really good. It looks better than it looked on the 3DS. And it's a 720p. But when you dock it, it upscales it. And it makes it 1080p. It makes it look way better on your TV than it does when you're playing a handheld. And mm-hmm. the fact that it happened, this happens in an instant. The, the The concept of that should be the future of gaming, period. For So much so that I think that Nintendo cannot go back to just producing consoles or handhelds as separate things. There needs I will to, be so angry. It needs to always just be the Switch. And I brought this up. So again, we re-recorded this episode, so I'm going to say this from the original recording as well. When the iPhone came out, it was the premier smartphone. It is, you know, it's not to say that it was the first smartphone, but it, it was the smartphone. And if we're being honest, Apple is a $3 trillion company right now. It is the number one company in the world, and it has been for so fucking long, and it's because of the iPhone. The iPhone is still, to this day, you, you can like Android, and I don't have anything against Android or anything like that. I'm not one of those people, but the iPhone is still the smartphone okay like when you think of smartphone when the world thinks of smartphone they think of the iphone and it has not changed and this is my point once the iphone was established in 2006 2007 it has remained a constant just the way it is since then it has not they have not done some weird thing where it goes back to being a flip phone or it goes back to being a sidekick that's been dead since the iphone came out the iphone killed all of that and my point is I think Nintendo has stumbled upon their version of the iPhone for gaming. The idea of a handheld and a console should just be the future forever. For If no one else is going to do it, I don't know if Nintendo has it patented where no one else can do it, but Nintendo should never go back to just producing only console and then only handheld as two separate things. They should always be linked together like that. I think it is the best idea in gaming ever. The fact that I can pick this device up, walk out of my house, and still be playing Monster Hunter with my friends, and nothing changes. It's wild. It is fucking it, wild. They can't go back. And if they go back, I think it's going to hurt. It'll hurt their company a lot. Yes. Like, they just, they can't go back. They have to push it forward. And I don't, it's not, like, anybody else could do it. Like, if Sony wanted to do it, they could do a portable and home console thing. But I don't think Sony and Microsoft will do that. Maybe they I can see try, Microsoft but, doing it before Sony. Microsoft, because yeah. just because of a... Uh, Microsoft already technically has portables and the idea of having Windows laptops and things like that. And yeah, they, yeah. they have all those the Surface tablets and stuff. So they, they technically have a idea of how handheld things work. Whereas I don't think Sony has that exact same... Like, yeah, the PSP was a thing. And it's funny, number eight for me... So number eight for Kenny was the Nintendo Switch. Number eight for me is the PSP. The PSP was phenomenal, but we all know how it ended. The Vita was a disaster. It was a disaster. Yeah. And Sony never went back. They After the Vita... That was it for them. They were like, okay, this was a failure. You can imagine they probably lost $100 million, if not more, because think about all the R&D that goes into a, a system. 
all of the contracts and like, exclusive content, all the things that goes into just like this. The Vita was a, a fully new system. It wasn't just like yeah, PS. Yeah. It wasn't just like the PSP got upgraded. It it was it was a it's its own system. It had things that you could not play on anything else. It's crazy how hard that bossed because for all intents and purposes, the Vita is like more capable than the 3DS, but like. It just botched. Like it did. It didn't. Yeah. It just wasn't successful. Yeah, they failed somewhere, and they kind of never went back to the handheld things. Or they put all their eggs in the basket of what they were good at, which is making console games that were really powerful. That's always been Sony's thing. Like the PlayStation has always been a powerful console. Uh, and Nintendo doesn't really care about you know being 4K resolution and Blu-ray player. You know, all of those things are cool for people who want that. But like I always say, I am a graphics whore, but I don't need it for my experience to be good. Mm-hmm. And I I don't know. Nintendo just do, has been doing a phenomenal job with their exclusives. They have the best exclusive market in the world, and the Switch is a testament to that. Everything before you know, everything before that too. Um, and then the PSP is is great because, and the reason why it's on my list is because back when I was younger, I used to have a CD player, and you know, CD players used to be pretty shit. Like one, if you wanted to hear something, you had to switch the CD out, uh, and then if it got hit. It would fucking literally make your song skip, which was a Dude, whole. God thing. forbid trying to jog with a CD player. Yes, which we tried. Do you imagine go jogging with a they CD player? They used to have player? CD players that said they were shock resistant, which was always a lie. Absolute uh, nonsense. Absolute nonsense. So then, when the PSP came out, and you know, at this point, the i the iPod Touch was already out, but when the PSP came out, it was able to fully play media. It had a really really good resolution display like the display Wait, on... was the ipod touch out already i know like ipod video and like ipod nano but was touch out at that so time? so i won't say that it was out at the beginning of the psp but during the psp's reign the ipod yeah, touch yeah, was also yeah. a thing is what like that's yeah, that's yeah, kind of yeah. what i'm saying okay uh, yeah, yeah. yeah i'm not saying that like when the psp first came out the ipod touch was out because i don't think yeah, yeah, that's yeah. true but uh I so you. yeah so when i had a psp the coolest thing to me and if you can relate, you know, send send something into I'm their podcast at gmail.com. But uh I used to have episodes of anime, so I would have the Rockley versus Gara fight, I would have the AMVs, I would have uh Naruto versus Sasuke at the Final Valley, I would have Ichigo versus Biaki the first time he ever used Bankai, I would have Goku going Super Saiyan for the first time and AMV surrounding that. I would have Kenshin versus Shishio and AMV surrounding that. I would have full anime seasons like i'd have and the entire death note was on my psp i'd also just have music and my psp was home it had homebrew installed on it so it was jailbroken or whatever you want to call it and i had all of all of the playstation like psx emulator was on there so i had final fantasy 7 8 9 i also had like final fantasy 1 2 3 and just a ton of shit like my psp was loaded and as long as you could as long as you had a memory stick that could harness, you know, all of its power and hold everything that you wanted to put on it. Or if you had, if you were like me, I just had multiple. I would have a memory stick that was just for RPGs, another memory stick that was for media, and I would just switch them out. And you know, as inconvenient as that is to think about in 2022, back then it, that was that was nothing because a CD player you couldn't do any yeah. of what I'm talking about. But yet a PSP the, was amazing. The amount of music I had on my PSP for uh, many years, my PSP was my main. Yeah, like. You have PS- it in your pocket. I remember you would yeah. have your PSP in your pocket and have your fucking headphones all coming out. All the time. Out. All the time. Like, for so... Like, I used my PSP like how we all use our phones today. Yeah. And I, you know, I, I still had a smartphone, but I um, I just didn't put everything on my my, my phone and because I just was already so used to using my PSP. So I had, just like Fraser, I had various episodes of anime on it, music, all kinds of games on it because I've just always, you know, 
been a gamer, so your phone can't really, especially back then, wasn't able to play the games I wanted to play that my PSP could. And if you had a, a hacked PSP, you could play all kinds of fucking shit. Right. Um, and I've got some more things to say about the PSP, but I'm going to save that for later. Don't you guys worry. It's coming back. <laughs> all right. So number nine for me, and this is a pretty big one, is, is Legend of Zelda Ocarina of Time. And Kenny mm. has Legend of Zelda Majora's Mask. Uh, so this game needs no real introduction. It is considered one of the best games of all time. And if you look at top 10 games of all time, it's probably going to be on every single list. If you just Google that Ocarina of Time was the pinnacle of open world at, you know, for its time, it was the pinnacle of open world. Um, it was such a good storytelling game that didn't necessarily have a whole lot of voice acting in it. And it still competed with things that, you know, they had voice acting and all of that stuff and like high graphics, the graphics are great. And the dungeon crawling aspect of it, the boss fights, the epicness, the story, it was so well done. I always think about the music, the, you know, song of sorrows, song of storms, uh, the Bolero of fire, Epona's song calling, you know, just to call your horse every time. Like, you had to play that shit a lot. Sometimes the fucking horse wouldn't come. So you had to play it again. And, uh, there'd be all types of shit, all the different items that you could equip uh, using the N64's weird ass controller and having the, the original C stick, I guess, um, be yeah, the C buttons, the C buttons, whereas like up, yeah. down, left, right. And you, you, they're each an item and you know, just the, the everything about it. Uh, Link changing tunics. You know, he had different iron boots to make yourself sink underwater. Uh, Navi, your fairy, who's always talking, hey, listen, like your fairy always talking to you. It was just amazing. And I played that game so much as a kid. When I first played, I didn't know what I was doing. And I just I didn't get very far and I got frustrated and I just stopped playing it. And then when I went back to it, not long after, but I went back to it eventually and I beat it. And then I started to go back and just 100 100 percent complete the game over and over and over again i mean i would just know every single thing to do every little trick shooting an arrow at the fucking sun to make the fire arrows come out like i, I knew everything i knew where to go get the ice arrows from the uh whatever the clan is i don't i don't want to botch their name but the valley the gerudo, the gerudo valley i go there and get my go through the trials get my ice arrows which were completely optional you can go through the whole game without getting it I I do everything. I got all Dens Fire, Nehru's Love, like Ferrari's Wind. Like I got literally everything. Um, it was just I don't know that game. That that's like my childhood. Like Ocarina of Time, Final Fantasy seven, eight, and nine, and I guess ten also because like when ten came out, I was only like ten years old. But those games are literally my childhood. Like those are the most iconic and the most memorable games of my childhood. Like Ocarina of Time probably being number one because I played that more than anything else. Like I played it so much. It is the Zelda game for me. And uh, on Kenny's list, he has Majora's yeah. Mask right next to Ocarina of Time. Majora's, I mean, uh, everything that he, that Fraser said about Ocarina of Time is true, and I feel the same way. But the Majora's Mask made that go even further for me. I also cheat a little bit here because I have Majora's Mask followed by Breath of the Wild. Right. Um, I could have just put Zelda, but uh, I'm a cheater, and so that's, you know, switch, <laughs> you got to deal with it. Also, and, um, I do want to interject here. So... You having Majora's Mask and Breath of the Wild is completely fine to me as opposed to having Zelda because these these three games that we're talking about, Ocarina of Time, Majora's Mask, and Breath of the Wild, these are the three Zelda games. Like, like I, I think that these are the three. Like, if, if someone said, name your top three Zelda games, I think that these are the three. Some people might substitute something from Wind Waker. I actually don't know what you touch, though, if I'm being completely honest. But, like, because from what I understand, I never played Breath of the Wild, but from what I understand, 
it is considered it, one of the absolute, not just Zelda, but one of the best games of all time. It's period. It's that game is crack. I um yeah, Wind Waker is very high up there for me as well. But Majora's Mask, when it that game fucking came out. Also, shout outs to Ocarina of Time. I said this on our N64 episode, but I remember I didn't beat it at first, and one of my friends borrowed it. He was like two years older than me. His name was Steve, and he named his fucking character Steve. So when he gave the game back to me. There was like a completed Zelda save with Link's name as fucking Steve. And it that annoyed me so much that I deleted that file. Uh, and that gave me like the true inspiration to beat the game as Link. Because like, fuck Steve. So anyway, <laughs> um, but on Majora's Mask, uh, that game is, I feel it, it came out, I want to say less than a year or t- slightly more than a year after Ocarina of Time. And it was made in the exact same engine. And you could tell... They really had time to polish it. They took like yeah, even just little things. When you look at the fact that in Ocarina of Time, Link has his sword on his back, right? And you don't ever realize it, but it, the sword's just kind of floating there. And then in Majora's Mask, he actually has like a belt around his chest to like represent the sword being there. Yes. And the little, little details, details like that <laughs> are really cool. Yeah, right? Um, but then there's also other fly shit. Like when Link is in certain dungeons or certain scenarios... When he jumps off of ledges, he does, like, flips and shit. Yep. When you start the game, you're going through the forest, and there's, like, tense music going. And then Link does, like, a front flip and a fucking side flip. And when you're a kid, and I'm going to argue even as an Bro, even as an adult, the opening of that game with the Skull Kid, and, oh and what you're describing, that shit had me so hype as a kid. Yes. And the music. Like, you're running, and then when my man Link hit a side flip, I lost my. I was like, "Holy shit!" Yeah, yo, I you lost got me hyped. My mind. Link so, was on that shit back in the day. You go into the game, and then like the game looks great. It's got this really dark, gritty feel. Um, the temples are like very fleshed out. Incredible music, but and that's all long. of Zelda. Yeah, yeah. And I said this uh, once again. This is a re-recording, so whatever. Fuck what I'm talking about. Here's what I'm trying to say. The NPCs, the AI, the the characters in the game are so alive, and they have so much life, more so than most games I've played even up until now. Um, Because the game is built on this three-day cycle, they mapped out what every character does for every minute of the day. Like, they go to work, they get off of work, they go rest, they go to the bar, they fucking go to sleep, they They run errands, they get robbed, and then different side quests you do and different events you do on certain days affect their lives on the later days and like it's a time loop so you go back to the first day etc so it's really interesting that you can do something on day one and then that'll affect what happens on day three and regardless you can literally in majora's mask follow like pick a character and you can just like follow them around through their day and see what they do like the one girl will she'll wake up she'll get out of her room she'll go down she'll run the uh the hotel the inn and she'll work there for a little while, you know, she'll go out, she'll check the mail. Like, it's just crazy how full their lives are for every single character in that yeah. game. And um, it's just an incredible game. And then going in just to, like, cheat Breath of the Wild into there, going to the Breath of the Wild, it's just this huge, expansive game. It is what Ocarina of Time, it's what they wanted Ocarina of Time to be. Ocarina of Time is this amazing open-world game. And there's a moment in Breath of the Wild where I was going through... Um, when I was getting on my way to like the Zora's domain of Breath of the Wild, and I'm going up like all these rocky mountains, and I'm seeing the waterfalls and stuff, and it fucking hit me. 
when they made Ocarina of Time, and when they made the Zora's Domain Path to Ocarina of Time, this is what they saw in their head. They just didn't, they weren't technically able to make it yet. But this was the magic that was in their head that they were seeing, that they were trying to make you feel with, with one part of your imagination and, like, bridging it with the game. And when I saw that in Breath of the Wild, like I was like, oh, my God, like, this is what it always this is what it always was. And that game is just huge. It's magical. There's so much to do. There's so much to play with with the physics engine, the the just the gameplay, and you can just dump. And it's the map is so large, you can dump hundreds of hours into it. Like, I played that game for, like, 200 hours, Damn. and I put it down for, like, a year and a half. Hold on. It, it gets bad. I put it down for, like, a year and a half, and then one day I went back to it and put, like, another 200 hours into it. Like, <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, I mean... That's the Zelda segment. <laughs> I have to, I have to play Breath of the Wild. Uh, so, so for me, whereas number nine for me was Ocarina of Time, and number nine for Kenny was Majora's Mask, and he has number ten as Breath of the Wild. I have number ten as God of War, specifically the 2018 God of War. I've been talking about this a lot on the podcast, but I cannot say enough how insane this game is. It is also up there with Breath of the Wild, which is why they're next to each other. Um, these are the two games that I think. You know, there's probably some recency bias associated with this, but these are the two games that are now considered the best games ever created. And mm. I am a person who does believe that no time is better than the present. Things are only getting better. So it's not surprising to me that, like, realistically, they probably are the actual best two games ever created because they came out most recently and they've had the ability to use hindsight and see what every other game before them has done and then improve upon it and then also have better graphics and better systems and better everything, right? Better music. So it's not surprising to me that these two games are considered like number one or number two or both number one, however you want to look at it. But God of War and Breath of the Wild are insane. And God of War for me is I've been playing it again on regular difficulty because the first time I ever played it, I botched it and put it on the hardest difficulty and made me not enjoy it. I thought the game was awful, but it wasn't awful. It was just that I spent 45 minutes on every single fight, which made me not enjoy the story because I didn't know what the story was. I was fucking anxious on every single thing I had to do. But going back and playing it, as a regular human being, it is so well done. And for me, the part that really gets me is the living engine. I'll call it the idea of you will just be doing random things. And there will be conversations between you and your son, who's your companion, the entire, the entire game. I haven't ended it yet, so I don't know what happens, but um, your, your son who's with you the entire game, there's like conversations that you guys just have. You'll be basically rowing in your boat, and your son will be like, hey, dad, could you tell me a story? Or like, oh, look at that big statue. And then your dad will literally start talking about the statue and giving all this detail about it and teaching your his son lessons. And it's so fucking organic and cool. And the word organic is specifically what I want to hone in here. It's It feels so real. It feels exactly like what would happen if two people, if a son and a father were traveling together on this journey. It feels exactly like the conversation that they would really have. And the fact that they recorded all of these there's hundreds of them. I've been playing a game for yeah, so many it's hours. A pretty beautiful experience. I'm like 70 hours in. I'm 70 hours in, and there are still conversations that they, they don't repeat them, I'm noticing. Like, if you miss it, you just miss it. <laughs> like, these conversations that I'm hearing, every time I hear a new one, a new story being told, like, Kratos will tell stories about his old life. with Like, he used to travel with these other guys, and how there was a mutiny, and they started killing each other, and all this other stuff. He has these unique, really cool stories. Some of them reference the old God of War games, which is really cool. And... It's it's just decent that they're all one-off stories. There seems to be an infinite number of them. And he just tells them at random moments or sometimes when something triggers that'll like make him do it. That alone makes it feel 
so realistic. And then also the, the beautiful graphics. So I play it on a really, really good monitor, a 4K monitor. It was like HDR and like it has, you know, no input lag, every, like all, all the workings, right? All, all the fixings. It looks fucking phenomenal. You know, it, it just looks amazing. PlayStation 4 Pro, from what I understand, is coming out on a PC, which it'll, it'll probably look even better. I think uh, it actually just recently did come out on PC. Yeah. And I heard it, I heard it's like selling its ass off. I'm not surprised. The game is really fucking good. I think God of War, the 2018 version uh, for PS4, is so good. It's right up there. It's right up there when you Google best games of all time. Uh, it actually won best game of all time through IGN and somewhere else for like in 2021, there was. A couple of those, like, you know, there was a gauntlet. It had, like, Fortnite and Call of Duty and Halo and Ocarina of Time and Breath of the Wild and all this other stuff. And, like, you know, at the end of it all, it was, like, Breath of the Wild versus God of War, right? <laughs> Just like, so it's always those two. It's always, the, every time I see something like that now, it's always those two. Um, and that's respectable to me. Like, sometimes Breath of the Wild comes out on top, sometimes God of War comes out on top. And I... Just from everyone who's ever played Breath of the Wild, everyone has said it is absolutely insane. And everyone who played God of War said it was insane, so much so that it made me go back and play it after I thought it was awful. I usually, once I make my mind up, I'm usually a person who says, I don't need anyone else to try to convince me. I made my mind up. I'm not going back to it. But, yeah, yeah. But like God of War was literally praised by every single human being I know who ever played it. And I was like, this, something must be, I started thinking, something must be wrong with me. And it was. Yeah. I fucked up. <laughs> so I was glad to know that. And uh, yeah, that's that's yeah, number I, two. I, I haven't played it yet, but I've watched two full playthroughs of it on uh, my stream. Ant streamed it and then Kevin streamed it. And yeah. uh, the game is amazing. I've seen the ending. I've watched and I want to play it myself. I just haven't gotten around to it. And I've I've experienced it through them uh, two full times already. But it is really nice. I remember we talked about one time, you know, how also the voices change dynamically, like how you'll be rowing the boat. And when you go into a cave, like it'll start echoing, but that conversation can happen and you don't have to go into the cave. And like, it's not scripted that you go in on time. It's so insane. It happens with the environment. And it's just a lot of attention to detail in that game, man. They did a lot of work. The sound design. Yes. And we could talk about this so, so much. I actually intend to have a full God of War episode because I actually played every single God of War, all of the ones that came out on PlayStation 2 and the ones that came out on PSP. And now finally, the one that came out on PS4. And from what I understand, there's a God of War Ragnarok coming out. We all know Ragnarok is like, you know, the downfall of uh, Norse mythology, uh, the same place like Thor comes from and Odin and all that stuff. So I am excited for that. And I need to beat this God of War game before that comes out. So let's move right yes. along. Uh, next for me on my list is Admiral Kizaru. So this is from One Piece. He Ooh. is. Yes, he is my favorite Admiral. Admiral. And he's also one of my favorite characters in the entire series. He kind of plays the role of a villain i guess because he's on the in the marines and the main character is a pirate so i guess you can consider him a villain even though i'll be honest he doesn't really feel villainous per se um and i'm not sure what the correct word to use so i'm just gonna say for now he's a villain towards the main character at least he's an antagonist of the main character like if he sees the yeah. main character him and the main character will have beef uh but admiral kizaru he has the logia fruit of light the element light he's literally light you can shoot him, you can stab him, you can blow him up, and because he is literally light incarnate, his body just completely regenerates in an instant. He can also move at the speed of light. He can also hit you at the speed of light, which apparently has a crazy amount of force behind it. And he has a lot of speed cool scenes. Speed is weight. Yep. He will remind you that speed is weight. 
Have you ever been kicked at the speed of light? He has some really cool scenes when he's first introduced. Uh, he's really good in a war. Uh, he has a really cool fight against uh, Marco de Phoenix. And yeah, he's just a really cool character. I want there to be more of him. He's in film Z. I think it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think he's in film Z. He has a really cool fight. Uh, he's he's just amazing. He's my exact kind of character. The, the nonchalant uh, I'm I'm smart, but I kind of play like I'm dumb, but I'm I'm nowhere near dumb in reality, though. Like, mm-hmm. I'm actually very dangerous, and you should not take all of my my jest in jest. You should take me very seriously when I'm on screen, because I'll I'll put a fucking hole through you, which he's, he do, which he does do. Yeah, Kizaru is definitely one of my favorite characters. Uh, I got Whitebeard here. Um, Whitebeard is goaded. <laughs> he's yeah. Everything about this character, he's you're going to see this happens more than once on the list with a character f- that represents a series for me, and they all feel like the same archetype. But it's this it's the everything is okay, I am here, like all might kind of thing. Yeah, Whitebeard gives off that exact same vibe. He he built like this, fa- like his entire pirate crew is his family, the, and they respect him so much they call him they call him father. And they are all his sons. Like he will protect all of them with his life, as if any father would protect any of their sons. To the point where he literally started a war with the world government because they had one of his children. And um, he's just such an amazing character. And you can tell when he shows up, the people that depend on him are like wipe like dads here. Like, yes. There's nothing to worry about. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, and people fear him, and he's just. Such an incredible character, a glorious back. When you see his back with the with the white beard insignia on it, it's like, oh my god! Like, what a glorious character. Um, I love him. We talked about the sound Hashira, how he gives off that kind of same energy. Where when he shows up, like his wives are like, you could just feel that relief, and he has that cool demeanor. It was like, oh, like he's here. Like everything's going to be okay. Yep. I'm not current in Demon Slayer at the moment, but I saw like up to where um he like just showed up uh. Tanjiro was doing sun breathing versus demon girl. I forgot her name, but Daki, something like that. Yeah. Daki, but I'm not far behind. I think demon slayers season's almost done. So I'm just going to catch yeah, up. And I think the next episode, this, this week, this weekend will be the last episode. So yeah, you, you so should I'll, catch I'll up. Wrap, yeah. yeah. I'll catch that up and then we'll do the episode on it. A yep. podcast episode on it. Yep. But, but the sound Hashira, just as an example of like this white beard or all might archetype, um, they just really kind of, make you feel safe and inspired and happy. And I just love watching them because they're, they're these, they're the characters that will put the entire world on their shoulders for like the people that they care about and like the people that they're, they're riding for, but they're not cheesy. They do it in like this. It's always like this fatherly way. It's not like this cheesy. I fight for my friends thing. It's more just like, like these are my children and you're fucking dead. Like, I don't know. It's just, it's really dope. Yeah, I I agree. White Bear for me is epic as hell. I think his devil fruit is insane. The quake quake fruit, um, the fact that he could flood the earth and and technically destroy the earth with it is really cool. The yeah. way he went out, like you said, he went out like a G. It's very graphic in the anime, but it's so much better in the manga. Yes, <laughs> it is. And I like always he's... I always <sighs> praise One Piece as being the best manga ever created for me. It's number one, and part of the reason why it's number one is honestly White Bear in the the war. Like the war yeah. is just reading, reading, war. reading that because I I didn't watch the anime until like only recently, honestly, like the one, the Wano arc. And uh, I guess Cake Island, I, I watched all of Cake Island, actually, because I wanted to see the fight between Luffy and uh, her, her son. Forget his name. Corey. Yes, he is ridiculous. His fucking <laughs> yes. Yes, perception is. hockey nonsense is ridiculous. But yes, I 
I love Whitebeard as well. I mean, I love honestly all of Yonko to me are so fucking cool, but Whitebeard gets the respect uh out of all of them, the more than any honestly, more than literally any other Yonko. And Shanks is up there, but like Whitebeard is just next level, right? He's so glorious. Yep. Uh so but go ahead. Yeah, going from there, uh another character I feel is in a similar archetype to Whitebeard is uh Mamoru Takamura. He's this is from Hajime no Ippo. If I feel like Hajime no Ippo is a name most anime fans know, but I haven't met many people that have actually read or watched it. Um, and I highly suggest you do. If you enjoy shonens, uh, or if you enjoy boxing, and if you don't think you're in the boxing, like, just trust me, it is really, you're going <laughs> to like it. It has great character moments, great writing, very enjoyable characters that go through growth, and it's a long, it's a long series. It's like One Piece long. But Oh, damn. Yeah, it's, it's fucking long. Like, it broke a thousand chapters a while ago. Um, But it is so, like, enjoyable. And it starts with, like, a kid in high school. And it goes to, like, he's out of high school. There's even a part where um, his, like, teachers and his high school counselors, like, are talking about going to college and getting to university. And they're talking to him about, like, what is he going to do with his life? And he tells them that he's going to, like, get it. He's going to go into boxing. Because he starts boxing in high school, and he says he, he's going to like go into boxing and try to become a professional boxer. And all of his teachers and his counselors are like, "You're an idiot!" Like they're all <laughs> telling him, "Like don't do that! Like stop it! Like stop being a fool! Like you gotta get you gotta go to university and all this other stuff." And he's and he's not like a bad kid or a kid that like fails in school or anything. It's not like he's being a badass like and failing. It's like he's he could go to university if he wanted to, but he's like, "No, like I love." boxing and like yeah. it, it's something that he found his heart in and He's so anyway his dreams that's uh that's the main character ipo but anyway what this is about is takamura if you get into this takamura is like the senpai he's the 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 best boxer in the gym that ipo ends up going to and all the other boxers in the gym look up to him while also like being scared of him he's also a complete scumbag like he's he's just a real scumbag <laughs> like he treats people like shit he's really funny like he makes fun of people and he's just an asshole, but all of that is wrapped in like, it's when you, you realize it really feels like that older brother vibe where he's all of these awful things, but he is there for you no matter what. And like, he has these moments of insight and inspiration and he's just like, he, he puts his gym on his back and he does everything for his coach. The, like the old man that got him in the boxing and they have a, this beautiful kind of relationship, even though they treat each other like shit you see kind of like the beauty in the relationship. And uh, I don't know. I use the word beauty a lot in this fucking podcast episode. I'm realizing, but uh, Takamura, he's just another character, similar to Whitebeard. He makes you feel inspired and like happy. And just like, he's one of those guys where like, if you knew him in real life and you were feeling really down and out and he showed up, you'd be like, man, everything's going to be okay. Like he just gives off that same feeling as like all my white beard, et cetera. So if you haven't read Hajime no Ippo, I highly suggest them. Also, the animation, and when I say animation, I'm referring to the manga, <laughs> which you might be like, that doesn't make sense. The fucking animation in the manga and the anime, but it's so good. The art, the impact of the art, the the fights, the, the boxing, the technicality of it is impeccable. It is so, so, so well done. So highly recommend. Okay. Well, I love something. I like reading uh, certain mangas more than I like watching anime just because... Sometimes the adaptations aren't as good as just reading it and seeing that original art. Yeah, so so good. clean. Yes. So I, I think I'll I'll check that out one day when I get some uh, some more free time. But uh, so for me, I'm 
I have that was your number 12 for number 12 for me is Itachi and then number 13 is Aizen. So I'm going to kind of do yeah, both of baby. these. I'm going to do both of these. So Itachi, another character who really doesn't need an introduction. If you know anything about Naruto, you know, Itachi is fucking goaded. He is the definition of a ninja. When I think about the word ninja, I think about sacrifice. And I don't think that there's any character in Naruto who has sacrificed more than Itachi, if I'm being realistic. Like, he sacrificed his family, his relationship with his brother. He sacrificed his love life. He killed his own, you know, fiance or whatever um, in his, you know, in the actual novels. And he's just done a lot. He broke the Ido Tensei in the Great Ninja War at the end of the series. Um, he's given Sasuke enough power so that he could compete still like the Mangeki Sharingan because in order for him to normally get it, you know, Naruto would die, but that never happens. So he, he just does a lot. And he's also a double agent for the leaf. I think that this character is not only really, really cool, but he's really well written and he's really, it's a sad story. It's, it's exactly the type of thing that I like. I don't know why I just resonate with sad things. I'm so fucking emo, I guess, at heart. <laughs> but, like, Itachi is the emo hero. He is the hero of he the is. emo kids. Like, if you think about back in the day, all the AMVs and stuff, a lot of them had Itachi in it. You know, the scene where he was in a hallway beating Sasuke's ass where Sasuke does that Chidori. And he kind of looks at him, he goes, Chidori. Like, as in, like, that's... You think that's fucking gonna work? Like, that's nothing. Which is scary because at the time, you you we are meant to believe that Kakashi was the shit. But when he encountered Itachi, he got put into a coma for several, several, several weeks and almost died. And he even asked, how come he didn't kill me? Well, the reason why he didn't kill you, Kakashi, as you must know, is because he doesn't actually want to kill any good people because he's actually a double agent. Um, but Itachi's fucking amazing. And like I said, he doesn't really need too much of an explanation. So I'll leave it there for him. Aizen, on the other hand, I want to say before you go any further, on the note of him being an emo hero, you know that's true. The black nail polish. Oh yeah. Listen. Oh. The black, the black we, nail polish. And we the went eyeliner, up for that. Listen. When he came out with the black nail polish, we went up for that. <laughs> um, he's amazing. Yeah. So yeah. Next for me is Aizen, number thirteen, and this character is the epitome of a villain to me. He is menacing. He's quiet and calculated, but then when he does speak, every single line has such a cut to it. Like, not only does he have, like, he cuts, but he also just speaks in the same way. Like, he's very vicious. He's very condescending. One, and of, one of my favorite moments dude, on him talking and you saying that cut. I've, I've said this to Bleach episode. <laughs> it's so good. But when, I forget exactly what happens, but when Ichigo ends up, like, retreating and he's way back. Yeah. And Aizen's like, what are you doing all the way over there? Don't you know? And then the next panel, he's at he has his hand on Ichigo's chest. He's like, in a moment, I can touch you like this. Like, <laughs> it's fucking great. Like yes. it's just I don't think I didn't say the quote exactly correctly, but, but it's, it's just those like things. It's like he's like, Where are you going? Yeah. Like, in a moment. And then the next panel, he's miles away. The next panel, he's touching his chest. He's like, <laughs> I can be here. And it's like, what the fuck? He literally has his hand on Ichigo's chest. It's wild. He also, in the anime, he cuts off Ichigo's music that if you want to see some action, he um, he catches Ichigo's sword one finger and cuts his music off. He's ridiculous. He does Black Coffin with no incantation. He can also do it with an incantation. Uh, he transcended Hollow and Shinigami. You never really see him get flustered or knocked off his square. There's only one instance of it, and it's really... It's not even like he's losing or anything. It's more so that he's angry because Orihara and Ichigo 
have accepted the way the world is, and Eisen believes in the world that it should be. And I agree with that, too, because if the world just stayed the same, we'd all be fucked, especially me. But, like, the idea of wanting to push things forward is important, and that's Eisen's goal, is, like, I saw the world and the way it should be, and you just see it the way it is, and you are willing to accept that. And so he got really pissed off at the end when they were sealing him, and he was like, you guys, this is loser talk. Like, the fact that you mm-hmm. just accept it. Uh, so Aizen is, is one of my favorite villains. I also... In the same token, I could also mention Uchiha Madara, who's right up there with Aizen as ter- in terms of being great villains. Uh, they're really, really phenomenal characters. Really well written. Really broken. They house everybody. No one... Honestly, they house literally everyone. They both had to get hoed, too. So Aizen got sealed uh, in a bullshit... Just some bullshit way, right? Like they, the, Honestly, the way they wrote his, his ending is just kind of stupid. And then he ends up... like He can't be killed because of Hogeyoko. So he's still alive in current Bleach. He will be in a Thousand Year Blood arc that comes out in October. But like he's still alive. He's still perfectly fine. And he's actually gotten more powerful and all this other bullshit. He's just ridiculous. He's a ridiculous character. And Madara is a character who's so powerful that they had to hoe him also and make it where this character who they literally announced like a month before the chapter just decided to show up and take over his body. And they were like, oh, this was Agatha all along. Like, this was the plan all along. It was always going to be Kaguya that came out at the end, and this was her plan. The last 500 years have literally been Kaguya up to this moment. Like, it it was such an ass pull and such a bad way to to end these characters like Aizen and Madara, but that's like, this is what happens when you make a character that strong. I, I'm not even going to go in. You guys already know I fucking hate Kaguya. Yes, everyone does. I don't think I've ever met someone who's like, oh, yeah, Kaguya, great. I, uh, dude, you know what? There ha- you know the the idea that there has to be how many people on the planet there's got to be one six billion. I really yeah. do want to meet the one person that like loves Kaguya. Yeah, that like goes up for Kaguya. Yeah, I want to just talk to the them. person who's like that's my favorite Naruto character. Yes, like who's your favorite Naruto character? Kaguya. Like I want to meet him and talk to him or yeah. her, whoever or her, you are. Yeah. Um, but on the on the theme of villains, I have come open your heart. Ansem, the Seeker of Darkness. Yes. Um, he is. He's my favorite Kingdom Hearts villain. Uh, the, right after him would be Xemnas from Kingdom Hearts 2. And then, uh, I mean, to be fair, the Kingdom Heart, all of the Kingdom Hearts villain are the same fucking person. They're just iterations of Master <laughs> Xehanort, but whatever. Um, but Ansem Seeker of Darkness, I want to say, as I love Kingdom Hearts. I love the series. Even all of the crazy directions the story has gone in. Um, I don't think the story is as complicated as people try to claim it is. It's actually, if you've played every game, it's not that hard to follow, honestly. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, and there's things about the story I still really like. Kingdom Hearts 3 had some emotional beats, but it also had some things that I found disappointing. The point that I'm getting to here, though, is Ansem Seeker of Darkness, I think, is a bit of wasted potential. Because when you go through Kingdom Hearts 1, and the magic of Kingdom Hearts 1, Ansem is such an incredible villain, and there's so much potential there, and there's so much more I thought was going to happen when he was when he was the villain of Kingdom Hearts. There was so much more buildup, and it felt like they kind of just went in a different direction that I didn't expect, and maybe that's my fault, my own expectations that are letting me down, but when you go through that game, and as you play through, you get like the Ansem reports, and you read through the Ansem reports, you get these weird sense of understanding understanding of the character. And as you go through the whole game, Ansem is put as a good guy, this character that was, you know, good or whatever, etc. And when you finally meet him, he's the main villain. He possesses Riku. He has an incredible speech on Destiny Island um, when he's talking to Sora. And he's like, 
Take a look at this tiny place. <laughs> to the heart seeking freedom, this island is a prison, surrounded by water. And so this boy sought out to escape from his prison. <laughs> anyway, he sought out a way to escape to other worlds. I can just keep going. Anyway, um, <laughs> I fucking love that speech. I love his original voice actor. They changed his voice actor uh, in the later Kingdom Hearts games. I don't remember if the voice actor didn't like turn the job down or if they found somebody else. I don't know. But his original voice actor, I think, was the voice actor for him. He's just my favorite villain. And I feel like they missed some of the potential of him because there was a, a bit more umph to him and he, he was kind of scary. And I, there was more under the hood that once they started introducing Xemnas and Master Xehanort and all these other people, the emphasis got taken off of the original Seeker of Darkness and I feel like he kind of got, got kind of got shafted. And for what he was in Kingdom Hearts One, and for that untapped potential that was always there, like he's, I just love him, and you know, I want to see more of him. And it, some of the, oh, in Kingdom Hearts Three, spoilers for Kingdom Hearts Three, when he dies, when he fades away, there's also this moment because he's been tormenting Riku for fucking years now, <laughs> and there's this moment when he dies, and like he looks at Riku, and he he, he seems sad, and he's like. He basically says like he's kind of going to miss like miss Riku, um, and that he and all, almost all fatherly. It feels like he's proud of Riku, like how far Riku has grown, how far Riku has uh, come, and just everything, all the trials and tribulations he has gone through. Before Ansem dies, this person that's been tormenting and really put Riku on this dark path that he triumphed over. You, he almost looks at him with like a sense of pride, which I thought was really interesting and a bit of character development that uh, I really enjoyed. Yeah, Ansem is the shit. I like the entire villain cast of Kingdom Hearts. Master Xehanort, Young Xehanort, uh, you know, Ansem, Zemnest, the whole the whole lot. They're all really cool to me. It is a bit confusing at times just because the games, they come out so few and far between. Like, they're pretty staggered throughout. But like like yeah. Kenny said, if you, if you play all of them, then I'm sure the story is cohesive. And also with today's resources you can literally just go on youtube and it's so true you could even watch a video or you could just do what i do and i just read i literally read articles that are book long like book length and they literally walk you through from the very beginning destiny island all the way up to current exactly what's happening literally everything mm -hmm. they have a complete chronology in order of everything that happens going all the way back to the beginning uh so yeah, Kano Hearts is really, really cool. And that's actually, for both of us, number 14, Ken Kenny has Kingdom Hearts 2, and I have Kingdom Hearts 1. Well, I specifically, once again, I'm a cheater. I did it again. Zelda, Kingdom Hearts, I'm a yep. goddamn god. But uh, these two are like two of my favorite games of all time. Specifically, though, I want to talk about Kingdom Kingdom Hearts 2's uh, opening, the opening sequence and the music. But it's the best. Um, since you have Kingdom Hearts 1 listed, and we were just talking about Ansem, uh, you go for KH1 first. Okay, so Kingdom Hearts 1... Uh, the opening, simple and clean. I love that remix, the because that's like the sped up version of it. The opening, anyway. And when I was in school, every every kid, every nerd kid in my school would have simple and clean playing on their PSP or like on whatever whatever type of media player they had. Uh, we'd all had we all have simple and clean. We all knew all the words to it. Sometimes you'd hear people humming it. You'd be like, "Oh, simple and clean," and we'd be like, "Yep." Uh, so my favorite version of it though is actually at the end of the game the slowed down five minute version that I, I often just play it out of nowhere. I was playing face my fears the other day and 
honestly, Kingdom Hearts just does not have bad music at all. It just doesn't. It, it came out swinging. Kingdom Hearts came out swinging. The very we're talking about Kingdom Hearts one here. The first one that, that Kingdom came, Hearts rhythm game is actually fire. Melody of Memory. I yeah. love that game so much just because of how much good music. Kingdom Hearts just does not have bad music. And it started with Kingdom Hearts one. And I always think about from my childhood, Kingdom Hearts one, Traverse Town, always reminds me of being a kid. I don't. It's something about that song, that Traverse Town song that just makes me feel like a kid again every time I hear it. Uh, so for me. I just have Kingdom Hearts 1 because when I saw Kenny's list, I was like, oh, well, you have KH2. I need to have at least something for KH because it, like he said, it's one of the, it, I think Kingdom Hearts 2 is the best game like uh, of all of them, of all the Kingdom Hearts games. But uh, since Kingdom Hearts 1 is the one that started it and sim- that simple and clean is just so fucking good to me. I, I love it. Now, I, honestly, all of all of the first the first two games are just so good. But yeah, let's that, uh, talk about Passion and Sanctuary. Well, before we jump over there, the song, I want to also say Simple and Clean is I've, you know, like you listened to it a bunch. And the ending sequence of Kingdom Hearts 1, because this is going to go into what I got to say for KH2's music. The ending sequence of Kingdom Hearts 1 when um, Sora and Kairi finally see each other again. And they're like holding each other's hands and they're being pulled apart because the worlds are being like recreated. Because, you know, the nonsense that happened. But they're being pulled apart, and like the music is starting to swell for Simple and Clean to start. And then, like as soon as it, like it hits, the beat drops, and like she starts singing. They um like their hands get broken apart, and they're like talking to each other right before it happens. And Sora says like I'll come back for you, and then Kyrie's like I know you will. And then they get broken apart, and then you're 13 years old, and you start crying. It's <laughs> uh, but Kingdom Hearts two, uh, Passion, aka Sanctuary. That song is probably my favorite Kingdom Hearts song. I love the part where they're like speaking backwards. Like there's a part where yes. she's singing and then she's like she sings backwards or something. I need you it's so, more than you know. Oh, it's so amazing. And then the opening sequence where they're running up and down the stairs. My and then, heart's a battleground. Oh, so oh, good. Oh, and then you see fucking uh, Sora fighting Marluxia and that part is uh, crazy. <laughs> yes, it well, is. He does like strike rate, he throws the keyblade and everything. Oh my god, oh, Marluxia Riku, throws the scythe. Oh, so fucking good. Riku fighting Ansem, and uh, also, if you didn't play Chain of Memories, you're like, who the fuck is Sora fighting? Right, Mar- and Marluxia is clean as hell. His title, something about the organization, they all have like titles. Um, like Marluxia's title is, I think, the Graceful Assassin. Oh, uh, damn. I, I think that's his name. I think his name's the Graceful Assassin. He's fucked up. But um, anyway, that the music though is so good. And I remember, but the very first time I watched it, I watched it with one of my very close friends, Anthony, and he literally came over to my house just to watch it day one with me. Well, also because my dad picked up his copy of the game from GameStop. But we were there, and like he got, he went in my room, and like we watched it together. He's like, "All right, now I got to go home," and he left. But that opening means so much to me. It, it's so good. And then to talk about the ending again, where they play the, that same song, but like an orchestral version. King, Sora goes through his whole journey, and he makes it back home to Destiny Islands, finally. And like he goes through the door to darkness and all this bullshit. But he ends up in the ocean on the beach, and uh, he like comes up, and like Donald and Goofy tackle him, and the music's starting to swell, and he looks up at Kyrie, and uh, he, he looks at her, and he's like, he says, we're back. And then she looks at him, and she goes you're home and then now you're 15 and you're crying so <laughs> it's fucking amazing i i without fail every time i beat kingdom hearts 2 which i think i've beaten it over 20 times now in my entire life um 
I've played that because after you've beat the game so many times, like I beat it, watch all the cutscenes, right? But when you replay it, a lot of times you'll just replay it because the game's fucking phenomenally fun, and so you'll skip the cutscenes. I found that not a speedrunner, but just playing the game as an experienced player of the game, but still a casual. If you skip all the cutscenes, you can get through the game. I want to say somewhere between four and eight hours. Oh wow! Um, yeah, if you just like skip all the cutscenes, and I um smashed that fucking I I played that game so many times, over twenty, and every single time without fail, when I get to the ending, that ending moment, and when Kyrie says "You're home" to Sora, I tear up. Hold on, I got an alarm. All right, I dismissed the alarm. I'm sorry. I tear up. Every single time. it's It just fucking hits me so hard. <laughs> so, next on the list, number 15 for me, is a game that you guys know we love, Monster Hunter. I have specifically listed on here, Monster Hunter World. And I've uh, got Monster Hunter Rise. Yes. So, Monster Hunter World was the game that made Monster Hunter mainstream in the West. It was already huge in Japan. There's even all types of crazy attractions in Japan for Monster Hunter. It's really big over there. They even have competitions and tournaments for Monster Hunter. Like the whole time attack thing, which is not really big over here. People don't really talk about the time attack aspect of Monster Hunter, but in Japan, it's a big it's a big deal. Um, Monster Hunter is huge now because of World. World brought it to a standard that Americans like, which is really high graphics, uh, online multiplayer, voice chat all it has all the fixings of a really really good multiplayer game and it introduced a lot of quality of life improvements for example in the old monster games every single area you went to had a load screen before you got to it and that shit is obnoxious as great as those monster games are i don't say that they're better than current monster Hunter. like i'm not one of those people who's like oh the old games are better like there's a whole group of people who believe that those people are out of their fucking minds like they're really fun i didn't play them all but i played gu recently and i want to say on the note of the load screen thing the environments in gu look so fucking nice like i remember just the yes. very first environment which is called jurassic frontier that place looks so fucking cool yes. and when i'm there i get lost in it and i like it but what sucks is that you just like then you hit a load screen and yes. it's like and it just takes you out of it every time. So and I get back I get back immersed, but every time that load screen does take you out. But that so game is still great. I have played it on the Switch. Uh originally it came out on the 3DS. Now I will say this. On the Switch, the load times are incredibly fast. Like Yeah, they are. It's really fast. To the point where they're not at they're they aren't nearly as bad. But when I originally played it, they were awful. The 3DS. Yeah, they, yeah, yeah, they were legitimately yeah. like 10 seconds long, right? Like, that's fucking long to just be sitting there waiting for 10 yeah, seconds. That means if you're fighting a monster and you get out of bounds, you 10 seconds, and yep. then you got to wait another 10 seconds to get back in the and fight that happened, monster. That happened a lot. That happened a lot. Medina used to get knocked out of the area, or the monster would flee the area. And if you don't have it paintballed, you had to fucking track it down manually. With some people, they, they love that aspect of it. But I am no such human. I believe that the present is the best time to be alive. So Monster Hunter World has scout flies that literally track the monster for you. You pick up tracks and things like that, and it tells you where the monster is. And if you get your tracks up to a certain point, so basically if you just play the game a lot, your hunter will just know where Rathalos is on the map. It will never. You won't even have to pick up tracks. Your character will just know because you've killed 100 Rathalos there's a Rathalos on his map, and I know exactly how to get to it. Do you want me to take you to it, basically? And that's what will happen. And I think that's really fucking cool. It also makes sense. Um, you're an expert Yeah, that's Rathalos something that's hunter. interesting. I actually, that does sound really cool. So I was going to say, um, I do do enjoy, like, the paintball aspect of uh, GU. But that I did, that I haven't played it yet. But that, tr- the tracking, scout flies thing that you said, and 
The fact that it gets better, the more, like, Rathalos that you haunt. That sounds really cool. I haven't played it yet. Whereas, like, in Rise, something I don't like is that you just load into the map and you just know where everything is immediately. Like, having never played the game before, the first time you go into a map, it's like, well, here's where all three monsters are. Yeah. And I feel like that could just kind of take, like, I think it'd be really cool if that wasn't the case. Like, especially, let's say I'm haunting Rathalos. It'd be cool if I just didn't even know Rajang was on the map. And then if Rajang fucking showed up and punched me in the face, like... Like, oh, shit! Yes. What the fuck is he doing that, here? That's what happened in the world. In world, you would just be surprised by shit. You'd find tracks, it'd be like... Uh... Old, smelly mud. And you, you know, you pick it up, and then you're... It would be... The Skullflots would move to the next tracks. But you wouldn't know what the monster is yet. Yeah, and, then, yeah. and then eventually, it'd be like... I like that. And then you'd run into an area, and then a cutscene would start. And the cutscenes in world were epic... They were really high graphics and really, really dynamic and really cool. There were turf wars. They have some turf wars in Rise, but they are nothing compared to the ones in World. The ones in World are literally worth watching a YouTube video on. There's like a whole Yo, YouTube video. I haven't seen the World ones yet, but Magna Malo gets busy in Rise. Yes. Magna Malo's turf wars. Magna Malo and Rathalos go the fuck ham. <laughs> but dog, when I tell you that the turf wars and World are so epic like they're just because the game itself looks so epic right the just the mm -hmm. graphics the high fidelity of everything it just it's so clean so nice world had a lot of quality of life improvements the fact that you can change a weapon on a mission that wasn't a thing before when you left yep. on a mission with a weapon you just had to stay with that weapon the entire mission the idea of having a camp on the mission and also being able to cook on the mission if you forgot before you have to literally be like oh fuck i forgot to cook and you have to quit out the mission there's just so many little things that make world insane and then rise is literally an improvement on all of those quality of life improvements and just made even better which is why rise to me is the better game overall comparing it to world not iceborne because that's just not a fair comparison we'll compare sunbreak to iceborne and which yeah, i feel yeah, like yeah. sunbreak will be better than iceborne because it'll just be again it will build on top of all of the things that were brought to us in world and iceborne and just made even better um, but yeah, you can. I'll let you lead off on Rise. Yeah, Rise being my first real Monster Hunter that I actually played more than like two hours of. Yeah, and uh, I fucking really ended up falling in love with it to the point where it's now up there. It's one of those things similar to D and D where it's one of the newer things that I got into in in like my life that uh that has been able to jump ahead of many other things that I liked, and it's up there as one of my favorites. Um. It's just an extremely fun... What makes Monster Hunter so good, if you haven't really played or got into it and you don't know, and if you do know, then you know, is that the game itself is really fun. It's a fun, like, RPG-type game with progression, and it's fun hunting the monsters, going through that cycle, building up armor. That whole process is fun, but what makes it really, really fucking fun is that it's a multiplayer game. It's a co-op game that you can play with your friends, or with random people, and, like, you can do all the little funny different Monster Hunter emotes in a random uh, lobby. But that's what makes the game truly fun, because even when you play single-player, like, if it was just a single-player game, I'd play it, and I'd be like, that was fun. But I don't think I'd love it. Right. The fact that I can play the single-player and get super immersed in the single-player, but the whole time it's like, this is going to be so cool, because if I upgrade my sword, then the next time I hunt with Frazier, like, I'll be able to do the hunt, and I'll be able to help. And then me and Frazier can help Xavier, because he just got the game, and now we'll be able to help him get his equipment... What's crazy about Monster Hunter is it's never boring or upsetting or not fun to go hunt the easy stuff again. Whereas in some games, when you go to do the easy stuff again, it's not fun anymore. But in this game, 
If you just get the game a year after I got it, I still have so much fun going to fight the easy stuff because it's like I get to field my own personal progression and fighting the easy stuff, but also I get to help you progress and you I get to help you experience all the fun things about going through the Monster Hunter cycle. It's just this really enjoyable experience that uh, I think the co-op and the multiplayer of it is uh, what truly like solidifies the game for me. Yeah, and the Wirebug, I, the same way we talked about how Nintendo can't go backwards with the idea of the Nintendo Switch. Yeah. I don't know what they're going to do about going forward after the Wirebug because the mobility... The movement is too good. The mobility that it gives you is so absurd and so futuristic. You're Every character is Spider-Man. We're all Spider-Man. And I don't know how we're ever going to go back to just traveling by running or traveling on top of a little endemic life creature or whatever you get, like a dog. Like a dog, the dogs are great. Don't get me wrong. Dogs are an improvement. They were not in a, they were not in world. They're really, really fast. I think they're really good for getting around, but there is nothing better than just having, I, I, it got to a point where at the end of the game, we realized that the meta was actually just cats and we just stopped using dogs altogether. And, uh, I'll be honest with you. We didn't need them because wire bugging around is fucking <laughs> broken. So they can't go back. The wire bug is insane. It's one of the reasons why I think that rise is truly better than world. The movement is so good, man. It's so insane. So yeah, I mean, I just wanted to throw that out there too, as, as like a little way to wrap up rise, but I can't wait for some break. We're going to play it. Kenny's going to be streaming it. I'll be hopping on no streams a lot of the time. Oh my God. Yes. And yeah. We're going to be fucking monster fanatics come the summer of 2022. I can't wait. I'm probably going to take off a whole week of work to get started on that game when it first drops. So, uh, let's see what's next. Yeah. What's next? Uh, Hunter Hunter is next. Yep. And then, uh, we'll jump over to you. I'm not going to spend too much time on Hunter Hunter because we haven't done an episode on it yet. And I really want to do an I Am Nerd episode on yes. Hunter Hunter. Yeah, we there is a scene. lot to talk. It is a very deep show. Yeah, it is. But point being, Hunter Hunter has become, is one of my favorite anime. It's one of my favorite manga. It's made by uh, Togashi, legendary creator of Yu Hakusho. Uh, also, husband of legendary creator of Sailor Moon. I don't know her name, but what a power fucking couple. The creator of Sailor Moon and the creator of Yu Hakusho being married is a fucking power couple. Yeah, if I've ever wild. seen one. Um, but it's also um, Hunter Hunter is in my top five of all time. Yeah, the the characters, the story, how like the fight just, sequences, the fight sequences, also the the intelligence of the fights. It's not just like they're not just strong. They don't yes. just have like strong energy. Like they have an entire system, uh, like skill system that is very, very fucking in depth. It's really and, refined, and I feel like it can be put into an RPG, like a really functional. Oh yeah. RPG. Yeah. So I love Hunter Hunter. There are some arcs in there that are incredible. We I don't want to go too much deeper, but I'll say yeah, we could an just... arc called the Chimera Ant Arc. There's also an arc called um York New City. York New, yes. Listen, if you haven't seen Hunter Hunter yet, this is your fucking warning. Please go watch the 2011 anime. Just watch it. It's only like a hundred episodes. That's not it. That's a pretty easy watch, man. I know it's not as easy as 25, but a hundred's not hard. Please watch Hunter Hunter. It'll go by really quickly once you start. Yeah. <laughs> it's it it'll it's it's incredible. But uh yep. Yeah. So next for me, number sixteen. So that was sixteen for Kenny. Number sixteen for me is Death Note, uh Yagami Light. So as you guys know, Death Note is my favorite anime, period. And probably my second favorite manga, uh, next to um One Piece. So I love the character Yagami Light. The fact that 
he triumphed over L in the end. Uh, I don't know a lot of people are L fans. I don't, it's not that I'm an L hater. Like I, I respect L, uh, but I always like to put it in context. Just the fact that Yagami Light was a high school student and L is fully like 25 years old, and they're going back and forth. And L, the world's greatest detective, is legitimately struggling to beat a high school student. Like. Not even just on a, on a strength of the high school student has supernatural shit working in his favor. The high school student is outrageously intelligent. Like, it, the writer made sure that it cannot be understated how intelligent Yagami Light actually is. And I love the character a lot. I love that when he did win, he didn't just become like some kind of tyrant. He actually created peace in the entire world for five years. Like, he had a five-year reign where there was just peace. Like, crime was like less than 1% or some crazy number, uh, murderers, rapists, all that stuff. Everyone was afraid. Like wars, everything just ceased because he, his the death note, like he was using it in such a way that it freaked people the fuck out. And he, you know, having Misa Misa on his side and her having the eyes and manipulating her correctly. Like he's just such a broken ass character. He's willing to do literally anything. And he's also willing to sacrifice people and sacrifice anything to achieve his goals. And, uh, I guess the only thing he wasn't willing to sacrifice was his lifespan, which I completely get it because from his perspective, he's the best thing that happened to the world. So if he truly believes I am the best thing that has ever happened to the world, then I need to live as long as possible so that the world could be the best it ever has been for as long as possible. It's very, very, a lot of hubris. The character said a lot of hubris. It was a cool thing about his character too, though, because at any moment he could have got the eyes. Yep. And it would have made his. It would have made what was left of his life a lot easier. But it would have also um, ended the entire. There would be no manga to read. There would be no show. Yeah, right? like it would be so boring if, it like people are like, oh, well, Goku can just do this, and like yes, like technically yes, right? But that just they could just wish for Goku to be stronger than all of his opponents the rest of the series, like the Dragon Balls. It'll just make me stronger than everyone I ever fight. But like that's corny. That's not only is that corny, but that's what makes it's it's weird. People that are fans of things, the disconnect that they have sometimes with understanding why they're a fan of it, right? Because if you got if Yagami Light got the eyes, you wouldn't be a fan of Death Note. Because what makes Light an interesting <laughs> character is that he didn't get the eyes. And, and he that he them. used and he didn't want them. Yeah. That makes him interesting. That adds to how smart he is, how interesting he is, his manipulation. It's same with Goku. If Go- Goku, he got he found the Dragon Balls fucking 13 times before he was 13 years yeah. old. Yeah. If he wanted to be the strongest being in the universe, he could be. Yeah. But that's what makes Goku interesting is that, like, he doesn't want that. What makes him interesting is that he wants to, like, almost at the, not even almost, at the detriment of the planet. Yes. He wants to make sure he wins with a fair fight. He fucking fought Perfect Cell, and then he was so confident that Gohan would beat him, he fucking gave Cell a sensu bean. He was like, here you go, I want you at full strength before my son whoops your ass. Right. And, like, everybody else was like, Goku, you're an idiot. But that's what makes Goku endearing to me, is that he 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 truly is about the self-progression and the self-growth and becoming better on his own terms and things like that. And he he's really upset if he wins. Like, even in Battle of the Gods, when he goes toe-to-toe with Beerus... Beerus asks, like, how does it feel having the power of a god? And Goku says, honestly, I'm disappointed because I couldn't reach this level on my own. And, like, that's so cool. That's also akin to Yagami Light. He didn't want to to cut his lifespan in half. He even said, like, the cost is too high. Uh, I'll pass. And he found a different way to do it. He had Misa Misa cut her lifespan. She already had the eyes when he met her. But then he also got her to get them again. 
And that that's wild that he was able to use his, you know, just a general attractiveness and the manipulation that he had on her because she was attracted to him. Um, he's ridiculous. I love him as a character. He's one of my favorite anime characters, if not my absolute favorite anime character. Uh, in fact, I plan to get a tattoo soon of Yagami Light and it'll be my first ever tattoo. So that's how serious I take Yagami Light. Damn. Dude, I don't know if I've said this on the podcast, but I don't have a tattoo, but it, the only tattoo I want, I don't deserve. And uh, <laughs> do you remember this, Frazier? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I want Whitebeard's, uh, Whitebeard's like pirate mark on my back. Yeah. But nice. I can't get that because I'm not cock diesel. Like, you, yeah. you can only have that tattoo if you're diesel. My back, I have to have a good looking back. And I'm not there. And maybe I should be. You know, maybe I should use that inspiration and start working out more. But I don't know. I will never disrespect that man's mark, though, by getting his tattoo on a back that doesn't deserve it. On so a anyway, fat back. Yeah. Well, hold up now. It's not a fat back, all right? It's not, it's not, don't be. <laughs> I just wanted here. to say the word fat back. I'm going to be honest. You're, just, you're, you're not even fat. Much. I just want, right. I wanted to say the word fat back because the word fat right. back is funny as hell to me. I respect that. I respect that. Fat back, fat back, fat back. <laughs> anyway. You know, next, next on your list keeps throwing me off every time I look at it. Next on Fraser's list is lightsabers. Mm-hmm. But every time I look at it, and it's probably just because you're Fraser, I, I keep thinking it says light swarms. Oh, shit. <laughs> And I'm like, Fresh doesn't really like Lightsworms. Like yeah, I'm not, a, the I'm not the biggest fan. And, and then I reread it and we go, oh, it's lightsabers. Yeah, so lightsabers for me are iconic because I grew up watching Star Wars a bit. And I actually had lightsabers as toys. Me and my best friend used to play with them outside. We had the ones that they kind of extend. So you had to like kind of swing them to get them to extend out. And they make noise when they hit against something. But we would play outside with them at nighttime when they would look really fucking cool. And I had Darth Mauls at one point, the double-sided lightsaber. I really like Kylo Ren's lightsaber, the way it has that unstable, yeah, the unstable crystal that fucking makes it all shaky and violent looking. Uh, I, I I am a big fan of certain aspects of Star Wars. It is not the it's not the best storytelling to me, but where it does shine is the the Force, the the way the Force works, uh, the dark force, and just all the things that the dark you know the dark side has, and then for me like the power of persuasion that the Jedi's have and lightsabers lightsabers are just so iconic and i think that they're so iconic i brought this up in original recording of this but i think people who don't even know anything about star wars really still would know that that weapon is from star wars like if you just show someone a lightsaber who's not a nerd they would be like oh that's from star wars like they would at least know that like it's that iconic of a thing that has existed for the last 40 plus years probably way longer now if i put it into context but yes more than 40 years um the lightsaber is one of those things for me. It was a big part of my childhood, and so that's why it's included as one of my favorite nerdy things. And uh, yeah, yeah, I compare I compare the lightsabers and their iconicness and recognizability to the word kryptonite. Now, the word kryptonite is not a real word. Yes, it's a word made up in a comic book for Superman. Yep. But that word has become so iconic that it now, in real world English, means something. When you say like that thing is my kryptonite, that that girl's my kryptonite or, or if I'm playing melee and I use Falco, I'm like, Martha's my kryptonite. Yeah. Like, uh, the word kryptonite means something. It's a real, like, and everybody on the planet, or maybe not planet because not everybody speaks English, but everybody that speaks English knows what the word kryptonite means. Yep. 
It's it's widely accepted that the kryptonite just means your weakness and the fact that that's a thing. That's how iconic that word is. And the same thing is, is with lightsabers. So uh, you have Xenoblade as number 17. So my 17 was lightsabers. You have Xenoblade, which apparently... Listen, oh, shut up. This is me. All right. I know what you're going to say. All right. Listen, sometimes the world works in mysterious ways. It does. We recorded this episode a few days ago. However... Things happen and we're forced to re-record it. Why is that relevant? Because just two hours ago, oh my god, I was in tears. <laughs> Not so the Nintendo Direct just happened, and spoiler alert for the next I Am Nerd episode, Nintendo Direct. I won't talk about anyway. Xenoblade Chronicles <laughs> is a phenomenal. My JRPG. man is losing it right now. It's a I phenomenal. Wish, I wish JRPG. you guys could see him. People who are on the Patreon who can actually watch the video, the full length videos of these episodes, Kenny is walling <laughs> out right now. Listen, the game is so good. The music, it's top tier, top, 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 top tier music. Like if you like Square Enix music, you know, Final Fantasy, if you like Zelda music, it is right there. It has this very, very, very clean OST. Um off the top of my head, I don't know the composer, and I'm mad at myself for not knowing the composer, but incredible, incredible music. Great story, incredible gameplay. Xenoblade Chronicles 2 and 1. I played 2 first, and you can play them in any order. That doesn't really matter. But if for whatever reason, gun to your head, you're only allowed to play one Xenoblade, the one to play is the first one. The first one is, is better than the second one. second one's still great. The first one is a fucking masterpiece. I love the characters, the story, the ride it puts you on, the things that happen, the gameplay, the mechanics, the world, the feel like it's you get to walk around it's huge but the game came out on the Wii and it's a beautiful game. It's remastered on the Switch, so play the Switch version. Um not enough I can say great about it. And why God works in mysterious ways is because literally 3 hours ago Xenoblade Chronicles 3 got announced on the Nintendo Direct. And what made that so hype for me is because when Pyra and Mithra got announced for Smash, um, during the Nintendo Direct, it was such an interesting reveal because it started off as a Xenoblade 2 cutscene, but it was a brand new cutscene in Xenoblade 2's engine. It wasn't something that already existed, and it was Rex walking around, and it seemed like a sequel. It seemed like a sequel to Xenoblade 2, like where Pyre and Mithra went missing and Rex was like, I can't find them and all this other shit. And it was, I was, I remember getting so excited, like, oh my God, I'm getting a new Xenoblade game. Um, but then it was Pyre and Mithra being added to Smash, which was still really cool. But as cool as that was that they got added to Smash, I was also a little disappointed because I was like, man, I feel like I got fucking baited. Like I thought, let's get a new Xenoblade. Anyway, my prayers were answered. Xenoblade 3 has been announced. And... Oh my fucking god! You better believe that that's getting streamed day one. So, uh, uh, I uh, just want to ask a quick question because I don't know much about Xenoblade. I never played any of them, and the only thing I know about them is from Smash Ultimate. Uh-huh. Uh, I guess Shulk actually was in Smash Four, right? But okay, so for me, is Xenoblade like Final Fantasy, where they're all separate things, like separate stories or something? Um, yes and no, but mostly yes. So what I mean by that is, for example, I played Xenoblade Two first, right? Uh, you can play all of Xenoblade 2, and you don't need any context from Xenoblade 1 to understand and enjoy the story of Xenoblade 2. However, there are some little things that happen in Xenoblade 2, and I didn't know this at the time, that are linked to Xenoblade 1. And you don't realize, but what's cool is that it actually doesn't matter what order you play them in. Because I played 2 first. When I played Xenoblade 1, once again, Xenoblade 1's story as a whole was completely unconnected to 2's. However... 
when certain things started to happen, I was like, oh my fucking God. Because you start to realize these little tiny links that were between the two games right. that aren't relevant to either game's plot, but they are relevant to like Xenoblade as a whole. And it's really, really cool. So you can play one or two without playing one or two. But when you play both of them, you you just kind of see some little things. And so I'm assuming three will be similar, where three's main story is not going to be connected to two or one at all. However, there's going to be these things that connect it in this overarching way that is just going to be like really, really cool. Yeah, I I haven't seen Nintendo Direct yet, but because our next episode is going to be talking about the Nintendo Direct as one of the topics, uh, I plan to watch it at some point, either tomorrow or Saturday, or even Sunday, I guess I have time, but... I'll be checking it out and seeing what this trailer looks like. And maybe, maybe Xenoblade 3 will be my first Xenoblade game. It's apparently game coming out this year. also looks amazing, by the way. Like, once again, people that say, like, the Switch is underpowered, which, yeah, I mean, compared to the PS5, it's not as powerful as the PS5. But the console can still create some beautiful, insane, well, amazing-looking games. It's going to be running Kingdom Hearts 3, right? So Yeah, but it's running, like, a cloud version of it. And Oh, uh, is that how it works? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. It's not, it actually, that's not actually the best, but it's kind of, I've uh, actually played the demo for that, so that's a little weird. <laughs> Kenny, Kenny's not going to lie to y'all, even though he's a Nintendo fanboy. He's no, like, oh. I'm, I'm not going to lie to you. Like, he's I'm not like, oh, I don't know. I, I'm with you yeah. when I'm when you're right, but I, when you're wrong, you're wrong. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, when you're wrong, you're wrong. But uh, but Xenoblade Chronicles 3, from the trailer we saw. It just looks it, amazing now. When you, You're going to look at it, and you're like, oh, like it's a world you can get lost in. And that's all I need. Oh, I just need a world I can really get lost in. Yeah. So anyway, that's Xenoblade. Yeah, I... Uh... So what do we have? So Duel Masters is next for me on the list. And this is a game that I used to play when Yu-Gi-Oh! got stale in the really early days. So around GOAT format times, you know, GOATs, I won't say that it was solved back then because it certainly wasn't. But it was solved to the people at the time before the days of YouTube and infinite resources, uh, infinite things to tell us what we were doing wrong like we have in 2022. So Duel Masters was a game that I always considered a corrected version of Magic the Gathering. And I say that because Magic the Gathering has this really stupid system that's so archaic and where you have to draw specific cards called land to play them and then you are allowed to then play your actual cards uh, it's so dumb it's one of the reasons why i quit playing magic i did play magic briefly in my life but magic because of that little thing where sometimes you just can't play the game at all because you didn't draw any land or you drew one land and it's not worth risking keeping that hand or you drew all lands, or you drew all there's just so many scenarios where land ruins the game for me that i can't deal with the fact that you just won't correct that uh but dual masters is a simplified version of magic where every single card in your deck can be played as land and what that does is it makes it where deck construction is much simpler and you can use cards that are like oh this is an eight drop and i drew it turn one well i'm not going to hold on to it i'd rather just play it as a land because eight turns from now is a very long time right like yeah. who the fuck has time to wait eight turns staring at this car for eight turns you might as well just play it in the back row as land and that that just made the game so fun uh the game was really good mccabe was one of the best players in the world he used to travel around with his dad and uh he topped a lot of stuff and i think he won some stuff he's a really good card player as we all know and he got me into it. and then my friend ty boy he also was really good at Duel Masters, they were both really good. I never actually played in like Duel Master tournaments outside of our locals. I was always strictly Yu-Gi-Oh! But I did actually play Duel Masters a lot at locals and it was really fun. And I, I honestly, 
I think the game had been resurrected at least once since it died, but the thing that killed it was when they made this one one car called uh, Bomb Bizarre, and he made it where you took another turn. And if you didn't win on your second turn that you got to take, uh, you lost the game. But like that just wasn't ever a fucking thing. You always won. You got to take two full turns. It was absolute nonsense. So when he came out, that's when I stopped playing. And yeah, and then it, and not only did I stop playing, but the game just died coincidentally at the same time. Yeah. So I wasn't the only one who realized this is the end. They, they needed a ban list, man. They needed help because that shit is not okay. That you know what that reminds me of? Uh, a card that was never legal, but a uh, Victory Dragon yeah. in Yu-Gi-Oh, where Victory Dragon reduces your opponent's life points to zero. You win the match, meaning a game <laughs> of Yu, a match of Yu-Gi-Oh is a two out of three games, is what its its official uh, verbiage is. So if you if Victory Dragon was legal and you went to a tournament, and let's say you lost game one of the two out of three, you lose game one, game two you win by killing him with Victory Dragon. You've now won it all. So even though you lost the first game, you've now won all three games because you killed him with Victory Dragon. Yeah. Anyway, he was never legal. And even though that's not the same effect as Bombazard, it has a similar feel where it's like, this shit should never be okay. Yeah. Like, it's not fun. Yeah. At least not for the person on the receiving end. So, all right. So And, and you're on the receiving end, too, because... If that's legal, what do you think? You're the only one playing it? Everybody's playing it. Exactly. So and that's at least what it half was. the time, you're receiving it. It was mirror matches. Yeah, it was not good. Uh, and then you have what? For number 18 on your list, you have Full Metal Alchemist. Yeah, FMA. Um, we still haven't done an FMA episode, so similar to Hunter Hunter, I'm not going to go into too much detail about this. Um, I just want to say that I thoroughly enjoy the anime. I actually haven't read the manga yet, which is uncharacteristic of me, because typically when I, when I love an anime... I always read the manga. Like I, I experience it because I enjoy experiencing media more than once if I really like it. Because yeah. you, the second time through, you always notice things, and it's also cool to see it in whatever its original arc, uh, art, in whatever the fuck that word is. Incarnation. Um, shut up. Uh, <laughs> 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 but, but Fullmetal Alchemist is really good. I like the original anime a lot, and I think it's one hundred percent worth watching. If you haven't seen FMA at all yet. I you know I do suggest the original one and then watching Brotherhood, um, if you really like it. But they're both really good. We'll you know deep, do deep dives on them. Uh, another cute thing I want to say is my little brother. I got my little brother in the FMA when he was very young, and he used to come home from school. I'm like, hey Kenny, I want to watch the show with the two brothers and their mom died. Like that was the name of the show. To him. Like, <laughs> it wasn't called Fullmetal Alchemist. It was the two brothers and their mom died. It's that, that last the- part for me. <laughs> <laughs> But it is, it's, um, it is, it's a really nice show. Uh, I enjoy the characters a lot. And yeah, it's good. It's one of the best animes of all time on a lot of, on a lot of lists. It's not up there for me. Uh, I've yeah. seen Brotherhood. I've seen, and I haven't finished the original. So I've seen all of Brotherhood and it was, I think that the, probably the issue is that it was so hyped up for me. It was so yeah, 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 yeah. outrageously hyped up for me that i was looking for a moment and i think that that kind of fucked me over because i didn't yeah get, I didn't, that can happen yeah i didn't get like a moment where i mean there are some broken moments don't get me wrong but i didn't get like best of all time type thing yeah whereas and, if you just enjoyed it on your own at some yes point. if people were just like it's good you should watch it and that's it it's not as opposed to saying like oh it's the best ever and all this other stuff i was like that's okay. why i don't like ever saying that like when i when i suggest things to people i always do it in such a tempered way where i'm yeah. like hey man i don't know I think it's really good. I, I do it in such a like tempered bitch way, but I do that not because I'm scared that they won't agree with me. Right. Because 
I do it because I want them to have the best experience. And I I do know that you can suggest something to, to somebody in a way where it ruins their experience yep. just by the way you suggest it. You can overdo it. And I only, and I, I, you know, I do this too. I'm not going to lie. I've done it in this, in this podcast, actually. There's only two things that I think you can get away with this for. And this is from my perspective. So this is subjective. But I think One Piece, the manga, is actually, you can't overhype One Piece's manga. I just don't believe that's <laughs> a, I There's a reason why it is the best-selling manga of all time. There's a reason why Oda is worshipped in Japan. There's a reason why there are theme parks for just One Piece in Japan. There, there are reasons why One Piece is this valid. It is not just like my opinion that it's it is the best. It is actually objectively the best to me, and I think objectively to so many other people, I don't think you could actually overhype One Piece. I think that honestly, a lot of times when I'm talking about One Piece, I'm not giving it enough, which is crazy. But I just I, <laughs> like that's that's how strongly I feel about the One Piece manga because the feeling I got when I read that shit, no one could have ruined it for me by telling me that it was goaded because. Because it was it like reading it was better than anything they could have ever said. Yeah, yeah, There was yeah, nothing yeah. that Kenny or Gary or any of my other friends could have said about One Piece that would have made it better than actually experiencing it for myself. And the other ah, one for baby. me is my other number one and is Death Note. I just think that there's nothing I can say about Death Note. There's not a single thing I can say about Death Note to overhype it that when you actually watch it, you won't feel yourself. I just do not mm. believe it's possible for you to watch all of Death Note and sit there with a straight face and be like, it was okay. I just think that you're a fucking liar. <laughs> like, I think if you could sit through Death Note the entire 37 episodes and be like, eh, like, you are a ridiculous human being and you just want to be a contrarian. <laughs> no cap. Like, you just want to be a contrarian. If you could honestly sit there and be like, this was just okay. Like, you pick yeah, up Kingdom yeah. Hearts 2 and you play it, you'd be like, eh. I pl- yeah, eh. Like, you're, <laughs> like, you are a fucking contrarian. Like, just accept you want to be a hipster so bad. But, oh, but yes. God. For for most things that are not One Piece and Death Note and Kingdom Hearts two and shit like that, you can hundred percent ruin it for somebody by overhyping it, and that's what happened to me with FMA. So, but we yeah. will do an episode on Fullmetal Alchemist because how can we not? It's so iconic, and yeah, yeah it's a it's a harrowing it's a harrowing journey and a story about two brothers, and you guys know them family stories, man. They get to me, and that that, that brothership of brothers. Uh, you know, I don't know. It, it's just that bond that they have and the story they want to go through is, well, they don't want to go through it, right? And they fucking, <laughs> but, but that story is, it, it hits, it hits. I, I like it a lot. And we mentioned that it, it's somewhat similar to, um, Demon Slayer in that, like that, that family kind of story of a brother and in this case, a sister who's going through a fucked up situation and have to yes. sort of set out to, uh, correct it. Yep. Younger sibling, one's a coat of armor. One is a demon trying to revert them back to their original form. It's very sad. The rest of their family's dead. Literally the exact same story, uh, but just told, you know, with different fights and stuff like that. So really cool stuff. But yeah, FMA is good. We'll do an episode on that for sure. Uh, next for me is what I consider to be the best show I've ever seen. And probably a lot of people as well, but Game of Thrones we did an episode on this already on the podcast, so check that out if you haven't already. But Game of Thrones, I'm not going to spend too much time on it. I, what All I want to say about this is I know it did not have the best ending in the world, um, but I do not think that you want to throw the baby out with the bathwater. You cannot there forget. You, you cannot forget the Sundays from seasons one through six where the show just had you absolutely racing to get to Facebook or Instagram or Twitter to talk about what the fuck you just saw because 
season one, seeing Ned's head get cut off. Season two, seeing the wildfire in the Blackwater Bay. Uh, season three, seeing the Red Wedding. Season four, seeing Tywin being killed on a shitter. And then seeing the part where the mountain actually kills Oberyn Tyrell by squeezing his head until it smashes like a pumpkin. Um, season five, seeing Jon Snow be killed. Season six, seeing Cersei blow up the chapel and the church and everything. Like, you can't throw out all of those insane moments. And then I'm missing so many because I this list can go on for hours on just how broken Game of Thrones is and how many good scenes it has. Just the scenes where Arya is traveling with the Hound. Those scenes are some of the best television I've ever seen. They're so funny and so well-written, so well-scripted and everything, right? So I don't think it's fair to just be like, well, it ended terribly and therefore the whole show is bad. Because like yeah, Naruto, Naruto had a terrible ending. One of the worst endings of any anime I've ever seen, honestly. I'm gonna be I'm gonna be serious. And honestly, Naruto's ending, like the ending of Shippuden, is one of you the You ain't lying. Is one and I'm not trying to be like this is not hyperbole. I'm not fucking attacking Naruto because it's popular. I love Naruto. I actually am def I'm defending Naruto right now and saying that just because it ended bad does not mean that you say the entire series is not worth watching and it's bad. So Game of Thrones is my favorite show I've ever seen. Because I, I specifically hearken back to the way it made me feel. Like, I always think about how did it just make you feel the first time you saw each episode. And the way it made me feel those first six seasons and even parts of season seven, the way it made me feel, nothing has ever made me feel like that. There's not a single show, a live action show specifically. Like, I'm not talking about anime when I talk about show. There's not a live action show that I've ever watched in my life that has made me feel the way Game of Thrones has made me feel. Mm. So. No, I, I agree. Um, I always say that Seasons one through three are like absolute gold, platinum, diamond. Uh, season four, I, I think, is still incredible, but I put it a teeny bit below one through three. Yeah. And then five, I think, is still really good. But if I remember five is five has some things in it that I really don't like. I think that's where the sand snakes are really around. And yeah. They, and they it's also suck. Yes. But, and then the Sansa, there's that one Sansa episode that I really didn't appreciate. And I think it's the lowest rated episode of all of Game of Thrones. Yeah, so, but all that season five is still really good, and then season six has one of the best episodes of all of Game yes. of Thrones. Yes, it does. Um, <laughs> and so, just yes, it, it does. I, seasons one through six are all just still very good. I, yes. I do think that just for me personally, four is a tiny bit below three, and yeah. five is a bit below four, etc. But then I think seven is a lot below six, and then I think eight is a lot below seven. Yes, I, but. I, I agree. With they still have some moments in seven and eight that are still cool. Yeah, you know what I mean. But it's just overall the, the writing quality dropped significantly. It did. But still, still worth watching, even if you just watch up to season six. Yep. You can end on season six, I guess, and be like, "All right, cool." <laughs> I yeah, I honestly the so the last episode of season six is to me my favorite episode of all of Game of Thrones, and if it ended there. <laughs> It would be. I don't think that any show could ever beat it for better for best show on TV. That's how good. Yeah, it is. yeah, yeah. All right, you have near on yours. Near, near Automata. Yeah. Um. W once again, another. I think there's been f maybe at least five things on this list that I don't. Know, I guess is surprising to me because for such a long time, I feel like the things that were my favorite things were established for such a long time. But in the last five or so years, I've been experiencing some things that uh have just jumped so high up and near automata specifically. And then there's near replicant and, um, and then near, if you don't know, is a, is an extension of the series called dragon guard, whatever, a bunch of shit, but near automata is the only one I've actually played. And you don't need to play any of the other ones to play it. Those ones do have stuff that if you did play them, you would understand 
other little small things, but you can play Nier Automata without any of those other games. Um, a masterclass Square Enix game. A game that... Square Enix... Final Fantasy is so big that it it's so unfortunately big. Yes. That Square Enix's other titles get so overshadowed That's by what them, happened even though with they're this game. also amazing. I never even yeah. heard of it until you told me about it. I never even heard of it. It's And, and that's it's just such a shame because it... Square Enix just... It's amazing to me how amazing they make these amazing games, but Final Fantasy is so big that it overshadows a lot of them. And Nier Automata, absolute A plus music, the score incredible, just as what you would expect from Kingdom Hearts or Final Fantasy or whatever. You got that in Nier, and in some instances, like some of the songs, especially in the moments they happen, they evoke such an emotion. It, it's just, it's amazing, and the story and what it tries. It's such a esoteric story i forgot the other word i used in the last recording but i remember <laughs> i specifically went out of my way to use two fucking words that uh i know what they mean but i know oftentimes when i say them people are like i don't know they try to make fun of me for trying to use big words but it had it's it's such a very interesting story that like hits you in a weird way like it it takes this turn that you you're not it just i don't want once again i don't like to overhype things and I don't like to oversell things. So I don't want to say because it's a game that I don't think many of the people listening and I know Frazier hasn't played, there's it's just one of those things where I don't want to say too much. But what I yeah. do want to say is that I played it, I fucking loved it. And it's a game that kept me thinking about it months after I played it now. Uh there's been times when like I've just sat down and like almost got a little depressed just by thinking about this game because of how much it made me just go over things in my head and think about the game and the things that happened. And then like, I don't, it's like philosophical. It's just, it's a very intriguing game. And uh, if you, if you like RPGs, this is an action RPG more similar to kingdom hearts, so to speak than final fantasy, but um, it's an action game. But if you really like, you know, those Japanese made square Enix games, um, it's a game that I highly recommend. Yeah, because of Square Enix, I'll end up playing it just because I love Square Enix so much. I'm a, I'm a fucking Square Enix fanboy, honestly. Like they yeah. really can't do anything wrong. So there's that. Uh, all right, what is next? So you have Will Smith and you have Russia. I remember you you grouped these together last time. So yeah. let's see if you can my pull boy, that trick off again. I'm gonna, I'll, I'll do my best. Um, these two things, uh, I, I just put them right next to each other because uh, first of all. No, you idiot. Will Smith isn't in Rush Hour. Uh, <laughs> but um, Rush Hour is specifically is... I, I say this all the time. It's my favorite movie. And so I, it almost gets solidified because of how much people hate that it's my favorite movie. They're like, Rush Hour can't <laughs> be your favorite movie? Because it's not like some... It's not fucking Scarface or The Departed or, you know, some other movie. That, some Something that fucking Roger E. Lieber, whatever the fuck his name is, uh, reviewed and said... Um, you know, Rush Hour is just such a fun, enjoyable movie. Chris Tucker and Jackie Chan kill it. And I love the movie. I love the series. It's so fun. I, Rush Hour 2, the most quoted, like, blooper end credits of all time. Like, damn, he ain't gonna be in Rush Hour 3. Like, there's no, there's no more quoted, uh, end, end credit blooper, I think, on, on the planet. And then Will Smith is my favorite actor. And that's another thing where people give me shit for that. Um, and I'm biased toward him. Will Smith's from Philly. I'm from Philly. And part of that kind of adds to it because it feels relatable to me. Some of the things that he, when when you, you listen to an interview with him or you listen to him talk, 
I, I feel like I, I relate to things that he says. And it also just, it's, it's like, it feels good to see somebody from your city. And he's like one of the biggest stars in the world. Um, I also think if you look at just his, that one album he did, he's the DJ on the rapper. I know his rap career is not often talked about. Uh, and most of his rap career, I'm not a fan of, but he's the DJ on the rapper is actually a really good rap album. And I do suggest if you've never listened to it, or you've never given Will Smith a chance as a rapper, check that out. And that might change your opinion. Um, but I, yeah, I just, I just really like Will Smith. He's my favorite actor. Rush Hour is my favorite movie. And shout out to the Will Smith when he was in France or Germany or wherever it was. And that guy was interviewing him. And then he goes <laughs> to like try to kiss him. And he kisses Will Smith. And Will Smith backs up and smacks him across the face. He gives him a good backhand. And uh, I always say that's the you can take him out, out of Philly, but you can't take Philly out of him. And... Um, he actually did an interview where he said Jay-Z called him up like that night or the next day or whatever. And Jay like Jay-Z was talking to Will Smith on the phone saying how much him and Beyonce were crying laughing and how they rewatched that clip of Will Smith smacking him fucking 50 times. And something about that story is so funny to me. So, I don't know. I love Will Smith and Rush Hour. Yeah, I mean, both of those things I love too. Will Smith recently was nominated for an Oscar uh for best actor and I think a supporting role, maybe a lead, a lead role, about Venus and Serena, the two famous tennis players, um, their dad he played. And apparently he killed that role. Like, he was amazing in it. And he never, you know, he hasn't won an Oscar yet. So, there's a chance that he will be an Oscar winner this year. I'm hoping that he actually gets it. I'm not sure who he's up against. Actually, I do know one of the people he's up against. He's up against Denzel Washington, which is like... Oh, that's, that's tough. But So, uh, secret side fact. Uh, not on the list. Denzel Washington's like my other favorite fucking. Actor. Yeah, like, I fucking Training Day, John Q, fucking. I mean, those are like the top two for yeah. me for Denzel. Like I, but yeah. But, oh, anyway, go ahead. So, this yeah. isn't about him right now. Like, yeah, this isn't about him. But <laughs> but Will Will's amazing. He's always been amazing since Fresh Prince days, and I like stuff like Men in Black. You know, I like his comedy stuff. Like I think Will Smith is actually phenomenal in comedy movies. I think he actually does really well in them. It's weird. I don't care for Kevin Hart in comedy movies per se. I like him. I like his. I think his stand up is fucking phenomenal, though. I think Kevin Hart has some amazing stand up. But the movies where they're like scripted and he's supposed to be funny in a movie, I find myself not laughing as much as when he's just literally doing stand up. Will mm-hmm. Smith, on the other hand, I think is so fucking funny in scripted movies. Like you talked yeah. about Independence Day and how yeah, yeah, yeah. a lot of his lines are just hilarious. I think about Bad Boys, Bad Boys mm-hmm. 2, like I'm Mike Lowry, like that whole thing. <laughs> and then him, him showing up like he just got out of prison when the, the um, Martin Lawrence's daughter, I think, is about to go out with this guy who wants to date her. So they're like young. Right. And the whole <laughs> idea is that they want to scare the boy. And the way Will Smith plays this scene, I, I swear to God. I feel like it was not scripted. Like, I swear to God, I think the entire scene, it really looked like he was just off the cuff saying shit to scare this kid. And it was so fucking funny. He's like, how old are you? He's like, 15. Nigga, you look about 30. Like, like, like it was just so... It is so good. Will Smith is terrifyingly funny in movies. I'm saying in movies because I don't think he does stand up. But... No, I don't think he's ever done stand-up. Yeah, I don't think he's a stand-up comedian, because that's a different type of comedy, like, for people who don't know. That's not the same thing. Like, just because you're funny 
does not mean that you could do stand up. They are very different skill sets. But yes, Will Smith is amazing. Rush Hour is also amazing. I have an outrageous respect for Jackie Chan, his work ethic, the fact yes. that he's like the actor with the most movies in the entire existence. Like, I think he's acted in more movies. Him and Samuel Jackson. Over a hundred, I think. He's yes. been in over a hundred movies. Yeah, both uh, of them are so, their work ethic is unparalleled. Jackie Chan's uh, martial art, as a martial artist, is also amazing. And like, he's the real deal. Like, he's a real martial artist. Unlike, you know, that Lee guy that you guys think can beat Mike Tyson in his prime, which is fucking. But anyway, is it about him? Uh, the Rush yeah. Hour is amazing. Chris Tucker is amazing. Uh, I, you know, I, I wouldn't mind another Rush Hour movie while they're old, like something that would just be funny because they're old and they can't do all the little shit they used to do when they were younger. It but, would be funny to see that. Also, just everybody already knows this, but you know, Jackie Chan, I don't think anymore, but he does all his own stunts and like forever did all his own stunts. Yes. And he was also a stuntman for Bruce Lee, uh, before he was Jackie Chan. Before oh, we all wow. knew who, yeah, he was, um, he was a stuntman in Bruce Lee movies and then became Jackie Chan, did his all his own stunts. So, like, uh, Jackie Chan, I fucking, I fucking love him. Also, just, this is complete side note, but you just said unparalleled. And over, um, like, last weekend, I was out, and I'm not going to say who this person was, but I said, somebody did something really well. And I said to them, I was like, oh, man, you are unparalleled. And they're like, oh, thank you. And then, like, a minute passed, and they're like, what does that mean? And I... <laughs> I just couldn't hold it in. I was like, uh, well, it, it basically means you're like unequaled, like essentially. And they were like, well, that's right. All <laughs> <I> right. Just... <laughs> okay. And I just thought that was so fucking funny. But anyway. right. So next on my list is, uh, so for number 20 for me, so that was 20 and 21 for Kenny Wilson from Rush Hour. 20 for me is Ultra Instinct. And I'm actually going to mm. couple this with 21 for me as well, Demon Slayer's animation. So 20, yeah, they do go hand in hand in what you're about to say. Yes. So Ultra Instinct, I think, is just the coolest shit I've ever seen in Dragon Ball, period. I don't think there's anything that has ever happened in any of the Dragon Ball franchise that is better than Ultra Instinct to me. It is just the pinnacle. Again, I think the present is better than any other time period. So I do not think there's anything in Dragon Ball or Dragon Ball Z or Dragon Ball GT that look better than ultra instinct i think it is insane like i think goku going super saiyan is, is the most epic moment don't get me wrong like it's 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 very epic right it's 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 iconic and all of those things but you can't sit there and tell me that ultra instinct the way that shit looks is wild goku getting fucking silver hair and the silver eyebrows and the the, the gray eyes and that stance he takes the music they play when he does da, 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 da. Like that, the whole thing, everything about it, the sound design, the fucking look that he gets, though the way they animate it too. I know a lot of people talk about Demon Slayer's animation. And Demon Slayer is the best animation I've ever seen. Don't get me wrong, it's why it's on the list. It is literally the best animation of anything I've ever seen animated, period. Uh, and it's weird. A lot of those lists I'm saying that for a lot of things, right? Like this is the best of it, but I guess that's why it made my list. So yeah. Ultra Instinct. The animation on it doesn't get talked about enough, I feel like. Maybe it does, and I just forgot, because it's been years. It's been, like, literally over three years since Ultra Instinct came out. But when Goku fought against Kefka? Kefla? Kefla. Kefla. I knew, yep. The first time I asked you before I said it. This time I just yeah, tried to do yeah. it myself, and I this still... This time... Yep. Damn. So Kefla, Damn. when he's fighting against Kefla, and he's Ultra Instinct, and he, he fucking Tony Hawk Pro Skater 3'd. <laughs> On the beam that she shot with a Kamehameha and point blanked her in the face with it. That oh. scene, the animation on that scene, just go back and look at it. It's not that old. It looks so 
fucking beautiful because it's like nighttime in the background looking and like the it's she's shooting like these really bright colors out and he just has the Kamehameha and he's he's an ultra instinct. It's so fucking gold. It's so also good. just you get swerved so hard because you're like, I've seen this a million times, they're gonna do a beam struggle. And then when Goku says no and skates up the fucking laser and then does a flip and shoots that shit in her face. Oh my it god. It is so clean. Honestly, top five anime moments ever to me. I think that that specific moment, Goku doing that is top five anime moments to me. Like if somebody were like, what's your top five moments in all of anime? That's on one the of list. them. That's yeah, yeah, that yeah. I I can't I cannot say that that's just not on the list. I can't. Oh man. It's that good. Uh and so Demon Slayer's animation, like I said, there's just nothing better. If you've been if you've been current with the Entertainment District arc, this entire arc looks like an anime movie. It is in contention with things like the Mugen Train movie. Uh, and it, I, I, I just don't understand how this studio can consistently put out this high level of work. They are blowing every other studio out the water. It's not even close. These last couple episodes, I'm not going to go into detail about any of them because Kenny is not current yet. But since the anime is ending this week, he will be current yeah, soon. So we'll be, be able to, we'll be able to talk about it. But he's going to notice very immediately, and he's already seen some of it. Like, I've already seen. We we talked about it when the fucking scene, and I'm. It's so crazy because Fraser knew exactly what I was going to say when I was going to say it in that one episode. But when she skates up on like her oh, whatever the tendrils, yeah, yeah, those things. When she does that skate up, it's so all the animation was clean. But, but there's like, something about that. that. It's so good looking. It looks amazing. So, yeah, I just had to give it up for Demon Slayer's animation real quick. And then next on my list, number 22, is My Villain Academia. And number 22 for Kenny is Lamillion. Lamillion. So, My Villain Academia, it hasn't actually fully aired in the anime yet. So, spoiler alert. But I just think that it is so good and very dark. I wasn't expecting my hero to be as dark as it is because it starts off really nice and like happy-go-lucky, your typical shonen, right? And it stays like that for a while. The only dark thing that it probably had early on was the fact that a little boy is breaking his bones to use his ability. That was like, okay, that's kind of fucked. But because I was comparing it, I think subconsciously to Marvel, because when you think about superheroes and you live in the West, like Marvel is the standard for a superhero. So my hero is one of the first, I shouldn't say the first, but it's one of the bigger hero Japanese things. Right. And it, I always forget that like (laughs) the Japanese like to take things to a place that they, you just don't see that in America. A lot of that stuff is sheltered from our eyes. Like they kind of just gloss over, like it doesn't happen, especially main characters dying in horrible ways. Uh, the My Villain Academia arc, people just get killed, like actual heroes, um, characters who have been around since season one. And it's just, it's, it's not even just like, oh, kill for shock factor. It's like the, the situation they're in is fucked. Yeah, yeah. Like it, the, doesn't, it doesn't feel forced. Like they, they wrote Shiga, up Shigaraki's it. quirk is so fucked. And the fact that it evolved, like it, so in the anime, it already evolved to the point where like it can permeate. So he can touch something else that's not even you, and it can permeate through something else and get to you that way. For example, the ground. And it will decay the ground, and if you're on the ground, you will become part of the decay and die. And it's such a broken quirk that it even evolves to a point where, like, energy beams, like, 
Someone shot a fucking, like, like a Kamehameha wave at him, and he fucking decayed it, which is so scary because it, it, that, that type of writing reminds me of One Piece. It, it, it's like, it's, it's, it's so inspired by One Piece to me where something that doesn't seem like it would ever do that, it's, it does it. And then you're like, wow, that is ridiculous, but I get it. Like, it's, yep. it's ridiculous, but I get it. Like, oh, technically you're decaying the beam. Right. Like it's it's energy. You're, like he's decaying the energy. But you never thought when you first saw him use the K that it would get to that point. Like you you can't yeah, lie yeah. and say you, you never saw that coming. Uh, Not at all. And that's a one piece thing to me. So when I saw that and I was sick when I was reading it, I was blown away. I was like, wow, this gives me one piece. And obviously me being having one piece as the number one manga. I was just blown away by my villain academia. I think it's the best arc in all of my heroes so far. So it made the list for me because I think I even said this to Kenny while I was like laying on my deathbed. This is some of the best manga I've ever read. Like yep. this, this specifically, like cut out everything else. There, and there's a lot of good parts of my hero. My hero is actually, it doesn't get enough credit. I feel like, I feel like it's being overshadowed by Demon Slayer and Attack on Titan. It's just unfortunate that it's airing at the exact same time as those two Titans. But like my hero is absurd and the manga is so good. And my villain academia specifically is some of the best manga i've ever read so and you have lamillion yeah. yeah i uh i just also want to say everything like when i got to that arc when i read that arc same thing because my hero is a bright show it's an inspiring show and when you when you read it when you watch it like you can be inspired by it and then it really starts to drag you down yeah oh yeah it really drags you down and puts you in the dirt and it's such a good feeling though like maybe i say that and you're like that doesn't sound good but it's so good like i really do enjoy that arc a lot and then kind of in a similar way like finding that light that inspiration when you're dragged to the depths is uh lamillion once again similar to uh takamura similar to whitebeard similar to the sound hashira lamillion similar to all might of the same show he's one of those characters that <clears throat> gives off that big brother vibe um, or, you know, that he, he's not a father figure, so that's why I didn't compare him to, like, a father figure like Whitebeard. But same thing, big brother like Takamura, where yeah. when he, people feel at ease when he's around. Um, he's so powerful, so strong, all these things, but he's not pompous or... he he He's there and he, like, protects the people around him, and he, he embodies such of what it means to be a hero, and that whole, like, keeping the smile on and doing it for the people. And when he is in that interaction... And, you know, spoilers, when he's in that interaction and things go down and he ends up losing his quirk and he's fighting against Overhaul and Overhaul's minion, and he loses his fucking quirk. And the narrator goes into detail about how the million was here and he fought him for 15 minutes and five minutes in, he lost his quirk and he was able to protect this little girl and fight off Overhaul, who is broken uh for 10 minutes with no quirk and it's just like they go through this whole feat list of what he's done and it's like you feel so fucking safe in his arms you're like come wrap me up big lamillion yeah but, he's a goat <laughs> he is the fact that he was going to inherit all might's quirk originally is wild it, it's amazing and the other cool thing is like you see that that um that perseverance right because when he shows up he you know he beats the shit out of class 1a as like a training exercise and everybody's like, man, you're so unfair. Like, it's like some people are so lucky. They're blessed with like great quirks. And he has to explain to them, like, my quirk, I, I certainly didn't feel lucky. Like, when I got it, 
Because when I use it, he he loses all of his senses. He can't breathe. He can't see. He can't feel. He can't touch. Nothing. He loses all. He can literally kill himself if like he uses his quirk incorrectly. Um, because like yeah, of the way it works. And they do a full breakdown of how his quirk works in the in the show. Yeah, his body the, can't take in any oxygen. His eyes take in no light. Yep. So it's it's really so, crazy what it does to him. So and it was very difficult for him to learn how to use it and control it. Um, and then, he, but he put in a ton of work and he did it and he persevered, he became great. And then he also uses that greatness to like defend and protect other people. And he's all like that the number one student bullshit. in the entire school, like yeah. the entire so, world, really. I love Lemillion. Since his chapters came out in the manga, uh, he has been the wallpaper on my phone and like, it just hasn't changed. Yeah. He's so broken. Uh, do you um, want to go into your next topic? You know what? Let's go. We're going to talk about the PSP again, boys. <laughs> yeah, okay. Um, <laughs> So here's the thing. You guys are listening to this, right? We're now at the bottom of the list. We're at twenty number 23 from yes. Frazier. So there's only 23, 24, and 25 left. When that equals 50, right? Do the math. I don't fucking know. Um, you're asking, what what could what could 23 be? Huh? What is it? I don't know. It'd probably be an anime, a manga, TV show, movie, video game. What if I told you it was almost all of those things? Yeah. It's all of those things. In oh, it's a lot more. It's hentai. Oh, shit. You can't believe you said it, can you? You can't believe it. So listen here, boys. I'm going to end girls. I'm going to break it down for you, all right? I would be a liar if I made a list of 50 things that were my favorite things in the world and hentai wasn't on it, okay? And you'd be a liar, too. If you've watched anime as long as I have, don't you fucking lie to me. I know what the deal is. Don't act like you haven't dabbled a bit in some hentai. We all watch anime for one specific acronym for academic purposes. F-A-P. You'll figure it out. (laughs) I want to say this, too. Uh, In 2021, Pornhub releases the most popular searches or the most popular categories. They release all of these charts, all of the statistical data, all of this analytical data, regions broken down by every city, every state what people get off to the most, how long they spend on certain sites, how long they spend on certain categories and all that type of thing. What actresses and actors are, to, are performing the best, who has the most screen time, all that stuff. They do they do a ton of analytics. And I read this article religiously. And in 2021, the winner for the most popular category on Pornhub was hentai. So, oh, we're, again, so we're not fucking weird. You are. We're not weird. Exactly. The whole fucking world loves it. Exactly. And I know you do too. Don't lie to me. But the reason why this is relevant to the PSP and what I left out when we talked about the PSP is, boy, oh boy, was the PSP a hentai machine. All right? <laughs> I, remember, I remember I had so much of that shit. Not a there. hentai machine. In addition to all the video games and the anime and all the other wholesome things that were on there, my God, whereas there's some not wholesome things. But um, I just had to give a special shout out to it because I'm a big fan of hens that wear ties, and I think they deserve more jobs. Yeah, hen- hentai is really... Interesting. When I first ever saw it, uh, it was when I was really young in middle school, I want to say like eighth grade. And we were at a computer lab and some kid pulled up Dragon Moon X. And <laughs> from that moment on, little Frazier knew exactly what he wanted to look at with his life. So, hey, man, it's good stuff. You know, don't be embarrassed. Embrace it. Yeah. Embrace it. You know, every once in a while, it's just nice to see a uh, piccolo stretch things that you never knew he could. And unfortunately, what's next on Frazier now? Now, here's where I'm going to draw the line, by the way. I, I Yeah, I'm not kink-shaming. You do whatever you like yeah, out no, there, internet. No kink-shaming here. But 
I'm just saying I'm not into this, but sadly, related to hentai is one is the Sonic fandom's weird. All right, Fraser, go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> so next on my list, my number twenty three is Sonic Adventure Two Battle, and it's not even really for the game itself. It's more so for the game within a game and the inception of it all. Yep. I love Chow Garden. That yes. fucking game was crack. Literally, I probably spent at least. I'm just going to throw a number out there, an arbitrary number that I'm just grasping. I'm going to say I spent at least 400 hours of my life. That sounds accurate to me. On just Chow Garden. Just that aspect of it. Unlocking the Heaven Garden, unlocking the Hell Garden, making Chows that can go through uh, the races, like literally fly, swim, climb, uh, punching rocks. They can do everything really well. And also, more importantly, most importantly than anything, they look cool. They fucking look amazing. Customizing your child exactly how you want, making a Sonic child, making a Chaos, a Shadow one. Like, it just, it was so, so cool to me. I don't know why, but that shit had me in a chokehold and I could not stop doing it. Uh, There was a little glitch that you could do that, like, you could bring out a crystal and keep on feeding it to him over and over and over again. It was just so much shit to that game. And seeing them evolve, turning into the little egg, and then coming out of it, sometimes they have like wings. They start mm-hmm. flying around. Seeing when they used to, you remember when they were babies and they were like in the in the pool and they would be literally screaming. They, for their wah, life. Wah. They, could, they couldn't swim. Yeah, they'd be flailing about until the point where they start seeing them do back backpedal and, and yeah. doggy strokes and all types of crazy shit. They're fucking backstroking. You see them chows in there like, what is good? They got a fucking Mai Tai just chilling. It's so cool. <laughs> I, uh, I spent a lot of time on Sonic Adventure 2 Battle just in the Child Garden. And then, obviously, the game itself is amazing, too. It has a fantastic soundtrack. You think about rolling around at the speed of sound. Got mm-hmm. places to go. Gotta follow my way, boy. That is just not... How did you... I, Stop look, doing that to me. All right? I, look, all right. It's 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 my truth. Um, but, yeah, Sonic Adventure 2 Battle was amazing. I like getting the ending and then the extra ending where, you you know, you collect all the Chaos Emeralds or, and you get the... Uh, Hyper Shadow, Supersonic, fight against that alien life form, the perfect life form. And you hear that really cool song, Live and Learn, Hanging on the Edge of Tomorrow. Very, very good. Uh, yeah, that was a big part of my childhood as well. Me and my best friend, we played Sonic Adventure 2 Battle nonstop. It even had a little two player mode where you got to go head, head to head with each other. And that was actually fun too. But playing with Metal Sonic was really fun. So uh, next on my list, number 24 is. Clothes. And this one is no shock to anyone who knows me. I am a huge fucking nerd for clothes. I own entirely too much. I'm actually in the process of deciding what I need to give away. I'm probably going to donate a lot of clothes because at this point it's excessive. Uh, and it's been excessive for years, but I'm actually starting to be overrun by my clothes now. Like my apartment is just, I don't have anywhere, I don't have anywhere to put them. So I've been up. My newest obsession has been Rick Owens. I got into Rick Owens at the end of 2021, and I have already just bought so much of it because it's so fucking fire. All his clothes are, well, he makes clothes that are not black, but 90% of everything that Rick Owens makes is straight up just the color black, which is my favorite color. And so if you look at my Instagram, you can follow me at Saint Alante, my middle name. So S A I N T, the word Saint, and then my middle name, Alante, A L L A N T E. On my Instagram, you'll notice that like my last five or so pictures are just Rick Owens outfits. Uh, I've been obsessed. I'm obsessed with the color black. I'm obsessed with the way his clothes look. They just have like this fucking cool, futuristic, sometimes militaristic look to them. Uh, I look like a villain a lot of the time. So I, in my head, I've been creating these like characters 
And I've been bringing these characters to life in photography. I have a really nice camera now. I have the Sony a7R 3 And I have a G Master lens. And I've been having my friends help me shoot some really nice shots where I look, I look like a fucking villain. Especially because it's appropriate now in 2022 with the pandemic to wear face coverings. And that just opens up a whole different world that I would have never done that if we didn't go through a pandemic. Like I didn't, the idea of wearing a mask just wasn't really a thing for me. But now it's like completely acceptable to do so. And they look, they photograph really well. I don't really care for my own face. I know that sounds fucking weird. But like when I photograph, I don't care about my own face because I, I tend to have my mouth open a lot. I tend to have my like, my lips kind of pursed in a, a fucking stupid looking way. So when I have a mask on, it removes so much of having to worry about my face. Like I've taken so yeah, many, yeah. I've taken so many pictures that are fire except my face to the point where i'm like okay i'm just gonna that. i'm gonna crop my face out because I, this picture is fire but my face ruins it the mask has been the answer to that and i cannot get over the fact that that's a thing and it's acceptable and i love it so yeah clothes for me are huge we're probably gonna do a podcast episode because people have actually asked me to do that like just do an episode on fashion and uh it'll be It'll, it, it'll be, there will be an episode on fashion. I might bring a guest on who's also enthusiastic about fashion, but there will be a fashion podcast episode at some point. Where I'll, I'll nerd out. I want to ask real quick where did you get the G Master lens? Was it and, the G Spot? All right. So, anyway, <laughs> on Kenny's list uh, for 24 is Street Fighter 4. And if he doesn't stop playing with me, we will end up in a street fight. <laughs> 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 all right. All right. All right. Street Fighter 4 after Melee is my favorite fighting game. Um, I went to Evo for Street Fighter 4 in 2012, and just my luck, Melee got into Evo in 2013, and, you know, I, I couldn't justify, you know, doing an entire Vegas trip two years in a row, like, yeah. um, but anyway, Street Fighter 4 is, uh, my favorite fighting game after Melee, it's just, has a huge roster, really fun characters, uh, except for Elena, um, <laughs> Elena's cancer, if you play Damn. Elena, I don't know, you're just... <laughs> Wait, is she the girl with the ribbon thing? Or she's oh, like, oh, she's, she's the, the she has the the top covering that her her stomach's out, right? Her stomach's out. She's wearing like a loincloth almost. Okay, there's okay. There's a character I'm thinking of. She's a girl, and she has like this fucking lightning kick and a fire, uh, like uppercut looking thing. She's really cool. I don't know what her name is though. And then there's another character who has. She has like a dress on. She has this yellow ribbon like thing that's really long, and she can. Oh, that's of... Rose. That's Rose. Okay, I like Rose, and I like the girl that I'm talking about, who I don't know whose name it is. But okay, you're talking about somebody else. No, Elena is. I mean, if well, here's the thing. Here's why I know you're not talking about Elena, because if you were a fan of Elena, then you and me, like, we just wouldn't be friends. You know what I mean? But it's not like, it's not like you'd be like, I'm a fan of Elena, and I'm like I'm not your friend anymore. It's that. Oh. The kind of person you would be if you were a fan of Elena, we would have never been friends to begin with. Okay, so I just looked her up. Um, she looks kind of like, I guess, Brazilian. I believe she's African. She's doing, it looks like Capoeira in this one picture. Yeah, yeah, I think. Maybe she's Brazilian. She's doing, she, she has like that Capoeira stance, like Eddie Gordo. Is it was yeah. her, her music, by the way, from Third Strike is amazing. Her music's incredible. But yeah, she is doing Capoeira. So what's the problem with her in Street Fighter 4? If you don't mind, she just is the lamest. Right corniest wackest character ever she has a healing super so no. nobody else in the game has this so she and she has like really shitty hitboxes and so she basically just plays super lame and then she heals and like she just times you out like you just get timed out over and over and over again yeah she uh she's at s tier 
on a tier list I'm looking at. I just typed in Street Fighter 4 tier list and she was up there. Yeah. She just she has this healing super that's so whack. Anyway, we're not here to talk about Elena. She's whack as fuck. We're here to talk about Balrog and Akuma and fucking Ryu and Evil Ryu and Kami and uh Ibuki and all these sick ass characters. Uh fucking El Fuerte. El Fuerte is dope. I don't care what anybody says. Um Seth, like dope ass characters. Um Zangief, Abel. Abel is really cool. Uh, Yun and Yang, Fei Long. Anyway, Street Fighter 4 is really fun. It's got great gameplay. Uh, it really feels good when you're good at that game. It's also a game where you can really break down how much better you are than somebody else because you can beat somebody by doing next to nothing. Like, you can just go... It, it, you, you can exude so much pressure. Like, when, when somebody goes to jump at you and you just anti-air it. And when they go to try to move on the ground, you just, like, you whiff punish them. And, like... Of doing just so many small, or not even so many, doing so little, little things, you can make somebody feel so overwhelmed, like where they're like, I can't do anything. Yeah. And you can just exert this pressure. And uh, I really, really enjoy Street Fighter 4. I like that it is, I feel like it has a really good mix of offense and defensive gameplay. It's not too heavy on offense, it's not too heavy on defense. You can really mix. I play Balrog, and Balrog's a character that can just hold down back and be super lame. And just kind of sit there and like play space. But then all of a sudden he can break into a fucking frenzy and be in your face and just be pressuring you over and over. And he can switch between those two play styles so quickly and it feels so fun to do. And the game as a whole can do that. Like Evil Ryu can lame you out and throw Hadokens all day. Or you can get in your face and just fucking pressure you and you're like, please God, make it stop. <laughs> yeah, I played a bit of Street Fighter 4. I was a Ken player. Uh, I think I did dabble with the tier list, so Yoon and everything, I probably played the brothers at one point. Uh, but the character I was talking about that I couldn't remember was Sea Viper. I liked her a lot. Oh, yeah, yeah. Sea Viper's cool. Sea Viper's cool. I liked her a lot. And I think she was considered pretty good. Like, you know, top top of the, you know, yeah. one, one, of the, one of the better characters in the game out of the roster. Had a pretty good roster. Uh, but yeah, Street Fighter 4 was cool. Street Fighter 4 was cool. So, so last for me is death parade number 25 on my list and this is an anime that's in my top five and the reason why it's in my top five animes of all time is because death parade has my favorite episode of anime i've ever seen which is episode 11 i'm not going to go into details about it but i will tell you what a little synopsis on what the show is about so the show is about when people die uh they have to be shipped to either heaven or hell right and they first stop at purgatory where they're forced to play a game. Uh, there's like a bar. There's basically a bar that acts as purgatory. And there's a bartender there. This is a really cool character. And essentially they're forced to play a game. And the game is how the bartender, who's actually an adjudicator, it lets him know how to send the person either to heaven or hell. And yeah, that's like the premise of it. If I recommend watching it, it's really good. It's only twelve episodes long, so it's a it's an easy watch. You should be able to get through it in probably one or two days, and it's it, it makes you think. It's one of those animes that makes you think. It's it's really interesting. Watch episodes one and two together. So if you're gonna watch it, if you know if you're gonna if you're gonna start it, please just at least watch episodes one and two because they're literally. Kind of the same thing, but just from two different perspectives. Like they kind of show you things from different perspective that you didn't really see the first time. Uh, and you know, perspective is everything, and it can give you an entire new 
here we go perspective so <laughs> i recommend just watching episodes one and two if you're going to start death parade it also has a really cool cameo in it i won't mention who the character is but there is blatantly a character from another anime in death parade that you will see so check that out that ends off my 25 and then kenny's 25th is wrestling wwf wwe uh even wcw even though i personally didn't watch wcw that much um and ecw these uh wrestling is a gigantic part of my childhood before anime was really a thing yeah before goku was my favorite uh it was stone cold steve austin you know same and uh and Undertaker. So, wrestling is just gigantic, and it, it, I think it also is part of what leads to me being such a big fighting game fan. And this is the fighting game commentary. A lot of those guys heavily inspired by The Rock and Stone Cold and all of those people that were great on the mic. Um, Paul Heyman is one of my favorite fucking guys on the mic. He's not a wrestler, but he's like a manager. He also was the guy that ran EC, ECW back in the day. Uh, Mankind, Dude Love, Cactus Jack. Mick Foley, like, Triple H, Triple H, Shawn Michaels, the Heartbreak Kid, DX, Kane. like Kane, the Brothers of Destruction with Kane and Undertaker. Yeah, back when you believed um, that. What else? I mean, even John Cena. Even if John Cena kind of became popular after I was out of wrestling, uh, he's now been popular for so long. Because at first, like, I kind of didn't like him either, and I thought he was cheesy. But I have family that like love John Cena and like younger siblings or family members, and also he's been popular for so 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 long that he kind of grew on me it's like it's like all right cool like i'm happy to see john cena but you know i like edge and um just everything i just love wrestling i love the shit talk the way the way they um perform also everybody always says like well you know it's not real right it's like yeah i I know that they're not really fighting like mike tyson and and, uh (laughs) and holyfield but what they're doing is real. Like yeah. when Jeff Hardy goes to the top of two fucking ladders and does a double backflip off them through a table, like it's not a fake ta- it's a table. <laughs> and and like it's not fake gravity. Like like Yeah. Like you know what I mean? So they're doing amazing stunt work live right in front of you and putting on a story, a show and they have great shit talk all throughout it. So it's it's just a very enjoyable, fun thing to sit down and go through. And uh, growing up weekly, watching wrestling and being part of the Monday Night Wars and all that stuff was uh, a memory that like I, I wouldn't trade in for anything. Yeah, I really like... Uh, I mean, I enjoy wrestling a lot as well. I grew up on it. I grew up on Loving the Undertaker. Again, I, you know, I'm so fucking emo, I'm realizing. But I was I was an Undertaker fan. I liked the match, like Hell in a Cell. I liked Buried Alive. I used to believe that yeah. they really were being buried alive. Yep. Like, I bought into it. The first time I watched Buried Alive, like I was traumatized because it was The Undertaker versus somebody, and I think he ended up losing. And I couldn't believe it. And this was their way for having him take a break for a while. So, like, he got buried alive, and then he just wasn't in the, he just wasn't on wrestling anymore for, like, a while. And then eventually he came back and that was a whole story. Everybody's like, oh shit. Yeah, it was so cool. They would have like a little comment, like a little trailer for it where you would see the dirt and you would see a hand come out the fucking dirt. And then eventually, you know, his time is now. The little girl's all creepy and shit like The Shining. Uh, The theatrics of wrestling were so tier zero when we were kids. They used Mm -hmm. to wear costumes. You know, then I just wear like 
underwear and they come out all sweaty and fight, which I guess for the adult me is better. But like when I was a kid, I really enjoyed the costumes and stuff like Rey Mysterio having that full costume with the mask, the Luchadori mask yeah. and everything. Uh, Undertaker, you know, he used to have like the trench coat with the hat and the fucking eyes rolled back. Kane used to have a mask on. Now Kane just comes out with his fucking face out. Like I really enjoyed the theatrics of wrestling as a kid and everyone had a certain look to him. Stone Cold come out in his fucking vest, his leather vest, with his, 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 uh, denim jeans, his jean shorts and, and his high socks and everything like that. He's kind of short. He just, and he was, he would, he had that bad motherfucker walk. You know what I mean? And like then he came out with the bad motherfucker. You, walk. you had the rock who would always tell you that his shirt was $500 or $5,000 shirt or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and that was like, like these things are iconic. All of these things are super iconic. And, I loved wrestling for a long time. Even when I realized like, Oh, this isn't like real, right? Like this is scripted to a degree. And you know, the fights, like you said, they are doing the stuff that you see. Like there's no way to fake that. Albeit, some of it is obviously fake. If you slow it down and you look at some of those things like, yes, like no, no one is actually getting the pedigree. He's not doing yeah, yeah. It. the tombstone. They're not doing what it actually looks like they're doing. But at the end of the day, it was so good for, for kids. And even if you're not even just for kids, I don't want to. I don't want to like make it sound like if you're an adult and you still like wrestling, there's something wrong with you because you're absolutely allowed to enjoy wrestling still. But I think that it just had a special effect on kids. When we I, mean, were I just watched the Royal Rumble like two weeks ago. I think yeah. it was. There's just something special about it when back in the '90s and the 2000s, when they just had like these costumes and these really theatric moments. The Generation X, Stephanie McMahon, when she was actually with Triple H, and like Vince McMahon hated that, and they end up, you know, there was there's a lot like her getting stunned at one point. Um, Vince McMahon being in a neck brace because he got stunned. So yep. many, so many cool storylines, and I could go on and on. I'm realizing that wrestling is such a big part of my life too. Um, yeah, yeah. But yeah, wrestling is goaded. There was there was some great moments like when Stone Cold was like fired and not allowed in the building, and then Vince McMahon had all these cops around him, and Stone Cold comes in and fucking like jumps over the cops and tackles Vince McMahon. It's yeah. like holy shit. Yeah, they did some crazy show. shit. When fucking mankind gets thrown off the, or Mick Foley gets thrown off the top, and I, I mentioned this before, I got to do it again, dude. But when Jr. the commentator is like, "God is my witness, he is broken in half." Like, <laughs> it's such energetic, amazing commentary that you just get. And then Kurt Angle, Kurt Angle's song is so good, right? But then it got twisted. So now when you hear it, and the whole entire arena. Hearing Kurt Angle's song would be like, da, 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 and it'd be like, you suck. You <laughs> suck. And like the whole, you suck. And like the whole crowd is, oh man, it's just amazing. Yeah, wrestling was great. But that rounds out our 50, 50 of our favorite things. Not necessarily our 50 favorite things, but 50 yeah. of our favorite things. Uh, because we we definitely have more stuff. As you know, we just did an episode on Power Rangers, and I didn't make the list because we just did an episode on it. So, like, yep, yep. that would have been on there and a lot of other things, too. But, uh, you know, if you guys enjoyed this, uh, thank you so much for supporting the podcast and, you know, liking it, sharing it, commenting on it, um, sending in listener letters to imnerdpodcast at gmail.com. And also, special shout-out to the people on our Patreon who are going to go down a list of the 26 people who are actually supporting with their wallets on Patreon and also unlock exclusive content. Also, you can right check before out. you do that, if you got this far to this episode, that this is by far our longest episode. So yes, this is wild. So when Kenny and I decided that we were going to re-record this episode, the first time it was like our two hours and forty minutes, which was going to be the longest episode we ever recorded. We said we would do the second time we were going to do it 
brief. We were going to try to speed through. It's going to be shorter. And it actually ended up being longer. This episode right now, before editing, is three hours long. So (laughs) it's actually crazy. Our work ethic, I I can't believe us. We actually ended up talking longer than we did the first time, which is absurd to me. I, I don't know how we did it. I don't know how that <laughs> happened. I, I don't know do how that not know how that because it didn't seem like we were doing it, but it but didn't we did. seem like it. Also, in my head, I can think of things that I didn't say that I said last time. Yes. So like I don't understand what happened. Like but. time is fucking on me right now. But anyway, uh shout out to our patrons. So we have Connie, Austin, Leon, Quest, Garen, Xavier, Hylian, TCG Automotive, Silver Chronic, Tyree Tensley, Dimitri Barnes, Alexander Brissett. Vinny Casello, Dominic Roberts, Game Freak Yoshi, Alex Flamer, Michael, Gabe Marini, Henri Reynolds, CJ, Dubkdad1, Saul Edges at, Ga- at Dabbers Gaming Cafe in Georgia, Dan Vrabel, Dennis Milburn, Joseph Marcello, and new Scott Page. Thank you so much for joining the Patreon. And a lot of you guys have been here since fucking day one. Like literally when we first started the Patreon in August, we have some day ones out here. So I really appreciate you guys. And I appreciate the people who are coming in now. Uh, if you need access to the discord server and you're a patron, please let me know. We have a discord for I am nerd for everyone who's on our Patreon. So if you don't already have a link to that, just hit me up. Um, you can hit us up through Patreon itself, or you can hit me up uh, on Facebook or something, and I'll, I'll get you a link to it. Uh, that is for our patrons. And like I said, on Patreon, we have episodes that do not come out on any other platform besides Patreon, so you can only get them if you're a patron. And the other thing is that we release um, full video versions of these podcasts. So like these are actually recorded video and audio, but then when you hear like on Spotify and Apple Podcasts, you're only getting an audio part of it. So if you're interested in ever seeing what we actually look like while we're talking, you know, if that kind of thing interests you, if it adds to the experience in any kind of way, then join our Patreon. Yeah. For me, it actually does because I listen to a lot of podcasts as well. And one of my favorites is called Sibling Rivalry. And because they're both like comedians in a way, uh, the visual aspect of it is so important to me. So I actually subscribed to their Patreon because I wanted to see the video versions of it because on YouTube, the way they do it is they show the first 10 minutes of the episode with the, vi- the video and then it just, they put like a, a blindfold over it. So you you can only hear them after the first 10 minutes, which is a great marketing tactic that we might employ at some point. But because it honestly got me to subscribe to their Patreon. I'm dead ass. Like every episode starts off where 10 minutes is regular and you see them. And then after those 10 minutes, it just fucking goes blindfold. Yeah, yeah. So... But uh, yeah, that is uh, episode 50. Yes, that is episode 50, 50 fucking episodes. Thank you so much. As I always say, do the things that make you happy. And we will be back for the next 50 episodes on a road to episode 100. Yes, sir. All right. Peace. Good night. Thank you.